2: Everyone, This is The Other Side of Midnight, TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. It's Friday. That means it's the beginning of the weekend. It also means the dawn of one of our most popular segments, a segment where we turn the programming over to you. We allow you to ask questions on any subject. You pick the subject you pick the question and just dial 800-848-9222 because it's time for The Other
1: Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. 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 Ask Frank anything.
2: That's right. I am prepared to answer your questions on any subject. 800-848-9222. Uh, we do have a few email co- questions coming in at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Radio dot com. We'll go to those if the uh, if the phone questions get a little monotonous, if they get a little boring. If you have eight people wanting to ask questions about pro wrestling or Ukraine, then we'll go to the email questions. But I always try to give preference to the. Phone questions first. Now, if, you, if this is your first time listening to this program, this is your opportunity to ask me anything about anything. If you have questions about baseball, pro wrestling, cinema, cocktails, cigars, uh, politics, national politics, local politics, the mob, aliens, foreign policy, you name it. Now, we are going to cover Ukraine in the second hour at the top of the 2 a.m. hour. So I would just ask if you have questions about Ukraine Please uh, hold your questions until 2 a.m. Also, I try to discourage trivia questions. I mean, if it's a really fun trivia question that uh, will spur a little bit of conversation and cause people to think a little bit, I guess that's fine. And look, it's ask me anything. It's not ask questions related to a narrow group of subjects that I'm comfortable answering. But I always find an open-ended question like, um, you know, uh, I don't know, you name it, or if you have questions about radio or the radio business or anything like that, now's a good time to ask them. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Our phones already are are queuing up with people loaded for bear. Let me begin with uh, Chris in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris.
3: Hey Frank, uh, my son is a huge baseball fan. I was wondering how excited are you that baseball finally came to a deal?
2: On a scale of, I'm going to talk about this a bit in the in the um, in the four o'clock hour, but on a scale of one to ten, it's an eleven. Uh, now, I was talking about this yesterday. I was so looking forward to the Mets season this year because they've made some great acquisitions, including Max Scherzer, which I think is. Potentially a game changer, quite literally. And I was uh, lamenting the fact that we were going to have a shortened season. I'm thrilled that it's going to be a 162 game season, and uh, I, I couldn't be more excited about it. I'm really thrilled.
4: Hell yeah, absolutely! Me and my son are huge baseball fans. We can't wait.
2: Yeah, uh, awesome. Same here, Chris. Uh, I, uh, I'll see. You. I'll see one of you at opening day. Hopefully, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two 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 let me say hello to eddie in new jersey hello eddie
5: hi frank hey uncle frank how you doing
2: i'm well thanks
5: um so my question's like this i want to know very specifically what the best type of wine not like a company name the best type of wine to get drunk on meaning like red
6: white dry like that type of stuff
2: well uh so in general you want to get the if that's your goal right uh you're you want to get the wine with the highest blood alcohol con the highest alcohol content and or the highest proof so you'll see that uh, you'll see a wine that has um you know uh, what they have a number a, a proof number in the front and that will get you the higher the proof the 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 more drunk that will get you the quickest. But, you know, there are so many great wines out there that I would really encourage you to savor the wine and not just drink it for the sake of, you know, not just for the sake of getting drunk. But
0: yeah, but,
5: like, I, I want to know, like, for, like, a hangover and, and the taste of it and stuff like that. Like, easy to drink, won't get, be too bad of a hangover and stuff like you know
2: well in, when you're talking about not having a hangover uh there are the, you want to stay away from anything that is uh you want to stick with white wine for instance won't give you a hangover uh i find anything that um if you w- w- anything that you drink if you drink enough of it could possibly give you a hangover but if you avoid mixing anything sweet there, you're much better off in terms of avoiding a hangover the next day. That's what uh, some of the experts say. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 1-800-848-9222. Very rare that we don't have all the lines fill up immediately. But right now, we have two open lines. Uh, if you have a question about any subject, 800-848-WABC. That's 800 uh, 848 Nine two two two. Bob is in Brooklyn. What's your question, Bob? One uh, NYPD
7: special victims at to ask. Yeah, yeah
2: Janine Piero, she's a criminal and a fraud. We get it. Thank you. Uh, Tommy in Brooklyn. Hello, Tommy.
7: Hi, Frank. How are you?
8: Uh, uh, how did you get into radio? And did you always have such a, a good radio voice, or did you have to work at it?
2: Uh, well, it's a good question. So, the the first part of your question is, I was always into radio as a fan. So I would always right. call um a lot of radio shows and interact with hosts as a caller. I'd always write to my uh favorite hosts and I sort of developed a, a relationship with a lot of them that way. And then I uh started doing a public access television show when I was a, a teenager and that w- allowed me to hone my craft in terms of uh, interviewing, in terms of topic selection, in terms of putting on a kind of compelling show that people would enjoy watching. And uh, I so that was a big part of it. But in terms of getting into radio, and then um, I was on my college radio station, WNYU as well. That helped uh, a great deal in terms of being better on the radio. But in terms of breaking into radio professionally, I uh, was an intern at this radio station when I was in college, and uh, I was I was an intern on the Curtis and Kuby show. And then um, they would include me in various on air segments. And um, you you just sort of become a, um, you know, kind of well-known commodity to the listeners and well-known to the management, well-known to hosts. And then ultimately, I got hired after being an intern part time to be a, a call screener and I would be a, a tape editor. And then I uh, took over temporarily for the producer of uh, Curtis and Kuby, who had left. And then uh, ultimately, I was the producer of that show full time and then uh, stayed as a producer for a long time, even once I started doing my own show. And then uh, I made my living as a producer while while getting to fill in for other hosts as a host and hosting my own show on the weekend.
3: Very cool. Very
9: cool. Not that I want to not that I want to get into radio as as a talker. Um, I have a hard time
10: doing as a as a phone call. uh, No,
2: you do great, uh, Tommy. But in terms uh, of my voice, I never was really conscious. uh, I was never really conscious of saying anything. There are certain habits that I would try to break, and I still have a lot of habits that I would try to break. In fact, a caller, uh, somebody, a listener, wrote to me yesterday, listing three phrases that I overuse on the radio, and. uh, I didn't realize that I was using them. So now that I'm aware of that, I'm going to uh, make an effort to keep an eye out for that. It's funny. Uh Joe Franklin one time was listening to me when I was filling in for somebody. We were talking about Joe yesterday and he said to me, um Frank, you know, you sound absolutely great. You sound terrific. There's just one minor piece of criticism I can I can give you. Can I do you, you minor give you one piece of constructive criticism because I love you. He says, "I've noticed you use the phrase, I appreciate it, a lot. So I, I uh, wasn't conscious of the fact that I was using that phrase until Joe pointed it out, and I tried to reduce it from that point on. 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Anthony is in the Bronx. Hello, Anthony.
7: Yeah, hi, Frank. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. A while
11: back, you mentioned that you were friends with Jay Diamond, and I used to be a big fan of his back sure. in the days. Mm-hmm. Would you know, do you speak to him, and would he be, um,
2: would he like to come, would he ever come back to New York to be back on the air? Well, he lives in New York. Um, okay. So I, I, I don't I, I don't know. I mean, look, I'm not in charge of uh, offering people jobs, but uh, I do speak to Jay fairly regularly, and uh, I've asked him to be a guest on this show. He said that uh, he's not really up for being a guest right now, but he might surprise us from time to time as a regular caller. And, you know, Jay is a master impersonator, so for all I know, Anthony, you might very well be Jay Diamond. (laughs) Um,
7: Well, Jay, if you're listening, please come back
2: to us. We need you. Thank you, Frank. Amen, amen. If I were, uh, if I had a radio station or if I were the program director of a radio station, I would beg Jay to do a uh, show. Jay, is one of the great talents that has ever spoken into a radio microphone. A brilliant man, a brilliant intellect, and a brilliant communicator, and just somebody who is just so incredibly creative and so incredibly funny. Uh, I just love him. Uh, Let me say hello to Mark in Patterson. Hello, Mark. How you doing? Uh, I think I'm doing all right.
0: Listen, here's my question. I, I was wondering how do you Find a program director on radio stations to get yourself interviewed if you're if you're doing something, let's say you're writing a column, you're doing music. How do you find uh, producers to uh, to hire you for interviews?
2: Uh, Well, I would call the radio station, you know, each radio station that you're trying to reach out to and ask, can I have the producer of XYZ shows email? And I don't see any reason why they wouldn't give it to you.
0: Okay cuz I I couldn't find any you know it, it seems to be kept pretty close to the vest on the internet.
2: Yeah, I mean I I don't know I mean a lot of shows change producers pretty quickly. So I don't know that there's a master list anywhere. I think the best thing is uh call that day, say um you want to send an email to suggest a guest or to uh pitch yourself as a guest and usually I you know they'll always give that to you usually. I mean, I don't see why they wouldn't unless you sound like a nut or if you have an annoying phone clicking sound which uh might be your issue. 800 848 9222 That's one eight hundred eight four 848 wabc Uh Shelly is in Gulf Shores. Hello, Shelly. Hi, Frank. Okay. Remember um Carol from New Jersey? She yes. would
11: call every yes. single show and this so forth and so on. All of a sudden she's disappeared.
2: I mean, I, I don't know if you would know this, but what do you think happened to her? I don't know. I would imagine um, when, when, I mean, I feel like I, I heard from her recently. I mean, um, really? I, have you not heard from her in a while?
11: Yeah, tell me. No, that. I have.
2: i I listened to a lot of the shows, and um, I have not heard from her at all. Huh. Not
11: that I, you know, not that I care because I thought she was so annoying, but I mean, I just all of a sudden
2: she just dropped out of the planet or something. Well, I like Carol a lot, so uh, I don't know what her story is, but Carol, if you're out there, uh, give us a call. Let us know you're doing okay. Eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc That's 800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil.
12: Hey, Frank. Uh, for the last several years, we've been lectured to by Hollywood on uh, causes uh, climate change, uh, the environment, uh, and uh, I've noticed that on the game shows, when they give away a car, and specifically The Price Is Right, uh, the real gasoline cars, the cheapest cars, twenty thousand dollar cars, seventeen thousand, but the real gas powered, it's not electric cars, and the parent companies are uh, very big uh, with lecturing us. Uh,
3: what companies yes, are? Been,
2: what 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 companies are big with lecturing you? The parent companies. Oh, of, the parent of, companies.
12: Right of these game shows. Uh, I, I find it so hypocritical. Uh, what do you think, Frank?
2: I think it's just a function of advertising. I mean, whatever car is given away pays a lot of money uh, to that game show for product placement, and I think the uh, the gas powered cars probably need the help, whereas a lot of the you know people making Tesla they don't need the help in terms of marketing. So Tesla doesn't need to uh, advertise on The Price is Right or something like that, whereas um, you know a a Chevy might. That's just my theory. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let me say hello to Charles in Queens. Hello, Charles.
10: Yeah. Hi. 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 First, I want to clarify. Uh, last night, or oh, yesterday morning, whatever. After the fifteen minutes of fame, you commented that Charles from Queens, maybe he's Larry from Brooklyn. Yeah, I was just I don't joking. Even know who Larry I, is. I was just joking. Oh, joking. Okay. All right. I'm not Larry. Okay. Uh, what I want to say is the following. This is. I'm being totally sincere. I'm very impressed with you on many levels. You express yourself beautifully. Sometimes you, you uh, search for a word, and you always come up with the right one that's very applicable, almost always, or always. Uh, you're a phenomenal interviewer. You've interviewed also the, the, the powerful, the famous, and so on. Yet you're very humble. You're genuinely, naturally very humble. Like I find most men, when they're asked a riddle, they, they heard the answer. Now, may, many, may, maybe not most, uh, I didn't take a study, and they'll think and make it as like you guessed it, so, wow, you know, you, you'll sometimes guess and uh, uh, give an answer to something that's amazing, and then you'll self-deprecate, it, and it's sincere, you'll say, believe me, I'm not so smart to know answers to these things, it's just that, you know, I just read about it yesterday, so, you know, it, it, so I'm trying to figure out why, so you accomplish accomplished a hell of a lot, but I don't think that you, deep down, uh, are feel it as much as you should, so I'm thinking, I'm not a psychiatrist, but maybe I'm playing one. I'm thinking maybe sometimes you talk about your brother, I think he's a scientist or another family member. Maybe you had a complex as a child that you're not accomplishing enough compared to your siblings. I don't know. I'm just curious why you're so humble. <laughs> well, very, I, that, I, that's, I'm impressed with that
2: more than anything else. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Charles, sincerely. Or should I say Larry. But um I uh I, you know I don't know that I mean I had no I, I don't I think I'm probably humble in some areas and not so humble in others. Uh whenever whenever I get uh, too big for my britches and uh my wife hears me bragging about something that I've done or something that I uh yeah I'm proud of uh she always reminds me that pride cometh before the fall and Frank, uh, she, what the hell are you doing And that she doesn't want me to uh, fall uh, so I think probably I could be a bit more humble, but uh, look at the end of the day, I am uh, just a normal person. I don't I don't think I've accomplished anything phenomenal uh, in my life. At the end of the day, uh, there are still uh, every two weeks I am. Um, it's a, it's a wish and a prayer to make sure that my bank account doesn't get overdrawn. I'm still uh, getting stuck in traffic, just like everybody else, still uh, struggling, running for the subway, just like anybody else and still dealing with the same problems that everybody else has. And, you know, honestly, I hear so many people that, um, you know, I read a lot and I listen to a lot of radio and I, I do a lot of research on different subjects and I am sometimes so embarrassed that I am not able to make the sort of logical connections that certain people are to certain things or to come up with an answer as quickly as other people or to be as quick-witted as some other people are. So honestly, what keeps me humble is the fact that uh, I don't think that I'm as uh, bright as a lot of other people that, um, that think about and speak about the same subjects that I do. And I don't think I'm as quick-witted as a lot of the people that are great wits on radio or TV. So you're very nice to say that, Charles. And um, I'm not sure what to say, but uh, I'm not sure I'm as humble as as you think. 800-848-9222. Mickey is in Manhattan. Hello, Mickey.
13: Hey, Frank. Nice to talk to you. Quick question about uh, uh, in recorded history over the last couple of thousand years, Mm. uh, American history, European history, or religious history. If there's anybody you could have dinner with uh, for an hour or two, who would that be and uh, why?
2: One person? Just one One person. One
13: person? Yeah, one person.
2: Okay. Any person, um, a historical – I'm not going to say a friend or a family member that's no longer with us. Uh, So a historical figure over the course of the last thousand years who I would have dinner with and why. It's such a good one. You know, I think the answer – thousand years. Yeah. um, I'm going to – I think the answer might be – Um so everyone always picks Jesus for this question, but I'm not going to pick Jesus because I have a a feeling that if you had dinner with Jesus, so much of the dinner would be him speaking in riddles and me trying to figure out what he's trying to say. It's like I don't want to put that much effort into a dinner. I want to enjoy myself and not try to figure out this um, this carpenter's parables. Uh, also, he'd probably want to talk about carpentry and stuff, and I'd have to sit there and pretend like I knew about it, which I don't. So I think, you know, the answer might be so it's one of two. It's either Theodore Roosevelt or Winston Churchill. It would be Theodore Roosevelt because of the sheer breadth of subjects that you could talk with Theodore Roosevelt about. He, the guy was yeah. an expert in so many different areas that I, I think, you know, two hours might not be enough time to cover all things. I mean, forgetting about politics, the guy was police commissioner. We could talk policing. He was a rancher in North Dakota. He explored the Amazon. He was a conservationist, but he was also a hunter. The guy was one of the most well-read presidents we've ever had. Also a historian, wrote about, all about, about the Naval War of 1812. That uh, that would be right near the top of my list james garfield uh because for some of the same reasons but if we're talking to dinner um the answer i think would be winston churchill because not only is churchill similarly well-rounded because before he was you know he was a, a a journalist and a historian in addition to being a politician but And I think we would see eye to eye on a lot of political things because Churchill switched parties several times throughout his life. So I feel feel like he was like me. He never really felt at home with the Labor Party and never really felt at home with the Conservative Party. And that's kind of the way I feel. So I think we'd have a lot in common. But... The guy was one of the great martini drinkers and one of the great cigar smokers of all time. So I know that if I'm having dinner with Winston Churchill, unlike Theodore Roosevelt, who was not much of a drinker, we're drinking five or six martinis each. And uh, I know that we're, we're capping that meal off. With a nice Churchill stogie at the end of that meal. So we, I, I think we'd probably disagree on a lot of stuff, especially as it relates to foreign policy. And he had some weird views uh, as it relates to uh, race and things like that. But I think the, the, all of the gin from the martinis would help lubricate the conversation. Absolutely. Great question, though. Good answer. Mickey, great question. Thank you. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Whatever you have questions about, now's the time to ask them. Uh, I will go through a couple of email questions as well. In fact, here, let me go through one here. This is from Ellen. Uh, Hi, Frank. I have two questions. I'm always impressed and amazed how quickly you have always answered my emails. About how many emails do you get on a daily basis? Uh That's a good question. I'd say it's about... Uh, I mean, this includes not just personal correspondence. This includes all of the many news publications that I subscribe to. Um, I'm going to say it's about, I don't know, 500 during the week. Maybe, maybe 200, maybe half of that, maybe 300, maybe 300 on the weekend. Uh, number two, lately I've noticed that some of your commercials are pre-recorded. Legacy, Precious Metals, and Life Change D. Why have you made the switch from live commercials to pre-recorded ones Um that was not my choice? And I'll tell you who I think the person to blame for that is. Because I much prefer the live commercial, right? I, I prefer to make a commercial a part of the show. Um, because I think it's more entertaining for the listener and I think it's better for the advertiser. You know who I think the person to blame for that is? Curtis Lee And, look, I know know what you're going to say, that I blame Curtis for everything. Curtis would do these bizarre uh, sort of run-ups to these commercials and then have the commercials go on for five minutes. Really? So the station would see, all right, okay, the client is paying for 60 seconds, but Curtis is going on for five and a half minutes. And I, I, I kind of feel like the station probably said... All right. Well, we can't do this. We can't have Curtis go on for five minutes. From now on, if they're paying for sixty seconds, they get sixty seconds. And so, I think Curtis ruined it for all of us. To be honest, that's my theory as to what happened. But I will. I can only say it was not my decision. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll continue with your questions. Whatever your questions are about, you want to talk about cocktails, cinema, gambling, the mob, uh, foreign policy, New York politics, national politics. Uh, whatever you, whatever you have questions about Star Trek pro wrestling baseball now's the time 800-848-9222 this is the other side of midnight straight at
14: WABC
2: Side of Midnight, I'm Frank Morano. We're dedicating this song to my friend Arthur Idala, a fine criminal defense attorney who is starting a murder trial in Brooklyn next week. So we're wishing him the best. Unless, of course, his client is guilty, then we're not wishing him the best. We're wishing him an adequate defense, but a speedy conviction. So I have no idea. I don't know who his client is or what the facts of the case are, but this is his favorite segment of the entire week and i know a lot of listeners feel that same way it's a, it's a time where we allow you to ask questions on any subject it's time for
1: the other side of midnight proudly presents ask frank ask
2: frank anything ask frank anything
1: ask frank anything ask frank anything, ask frank anything. Ask frank anything.
2: Oh! All right, taking your questions on any subject. Let me say hello to Larry and Beth Page. Hello, Larry.
15: Frank, real simple question. Mm. Hypothetical: You're on death row, and it's time to order your last meal.
2: Excellent question.
15: What's it going to be? Okay, so
2: now, uh, if it was a a death row prison facility where they would let me go out for a meal. And it's definitely it's
15: definitely coming from an outside restaurant or multiple restaurants. Okay, well, so choice.
2: So there's a few different ways that I could go. What I think I would probably do is go the uh, the route of an elaborate brunch. Okay, I am I am a brunch fiend, so I would love to do uh, an elaborate brunch that has um, that includes a nice uh, whole wheat bagel with um with maybe scallion cream cheese, lox, onions, tomato and caper on it, but also a ni- a nice omelet right with um with 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 mushrooms, uh, a little maybe a, you know some spices, maybe some pepper and four different cheeses. I'd love to have four different cheeses on there. Swiss cheddar, maybe asiago, maybe brie, maybe munster, maybe mozzadel, any of those, a four cheese and mushroom omelet, the bagel with cream cheese and lox, and um uh, you know maybe some fruit on on the side there as well. I would probably go the route of an an elaborate uh an elaborate brunch. Now, I am conflicted. Never
15: that. I never saw that coming. Well, the I, uh, the,
2: I, go I ahead. expected Italian food. Lobster, so I expect that, steaks. That's the other. See, it all depends on your mood, right? You can't predict what your mood is going to be when you die. So I tell you, if I could go out for one last meal, it would be to Michael's of Brooklyn in, um, you know, it, on on Avenue R, Nostrad Avenue, because every course there is a meal. Onto itself. Uh, I would go if if they said you can. This is going to be your last meal at a restaurant ever. I would go to either Michael's of Brooklyn or Forlini's. Those are my two favorite uh, Italian spots. And uh, whatever you get there, you're a winner. And my favorite thing to do at both of those spots is get the appetizer course, uh, family style, and have everybody you know share the appetizers, and then get an individual. Entree after the pasta course. So, uh, if I could go out for one last meal, it would be an Italian feast at either Michael's of Brooklyn or Forlini's. But if I'm on death row, I think I'm going the the route of a sumptuous brunch. Uh, what you, my three favorite types of food are eggs, cheese, and seafood. So, if I can have all that in one meal, that's kind of my goal.
15: I have to be honest with you. If I was the warden in the prison. <clears throat> and you ordered eggs as a last meal, I would push up the execution <laughs> power.
2: <laughs> Duly noted, Larry. Hopefully the uh, the uh, Bureau of Prisons doesn't hire you anytime soon. Thank you. And, you know, I got a similar uh, question via email from Daniel. Frank, I know you prefer caller questions. Due to work, I'm unable I'm to call in. And as usual, please don't use my last name. You're at the Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall and can't leave. Nuclear war starts in forty five minutes. What's the last thing you eat and drink? What is the last cigar you smoke? Well, you know, honestly, they don't let you smoke cigars at the Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall. So I would, uh, I would probably try to go to, um, I would probably try to go to an establishment that allows you to smoke while drinking. Uh, and then um, look, you know, the Tennessee Avenue Beer Hall—they have bar food, you know. So, um, they, I mean, it's good bar food, but I'd get a, you know, maybe I'd get a taco, a fish taco. Uh, or something. I'd look at what the menu and what the specials are. They have um, some cheesy tater tots, which are quite good. I would probably order those. And um I would probably get a, a, a stiff bourbon of some sort. Maybe a Maker's Mark or whatever the best bourbon they had available at the time. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Mary Beth is on Long Island. Hello, Mary Beth. I just want to say, I cannot
11: stop thinking about the omelet. It sounded so good.
2: Didn't it? Exactly. That guy, Larry, was going to kill me early for ordering it. (laughs) No, I want one now. Same here. I only have the eggs, though. Um, I wanted to ask you,
11: Frank, I know how difficult it is to choose the name for one's children. And I believe I remember you saying once that your favorite uncle was your Uncle Carmine. What was it about him that was so special,
5: and is that who you named your son for?
2: Well, it's a great question. Uh, so my, he was my, my great uncle, and I would say I had several great uncles and great aunts. He was uh, absolutely my favorite on both sides of my family of all my great uncles. Um, so I never knew my grandfather, who I was named for. My paternal grandfather is named uh, Frank. I never knew him. So my uncle Carmine was his brother, and really, growing up, was much more like a grandfather to me uh, than than an uncle. I had, uh, I did know my maternal grandfather, who I was also very close with. But um, you know, he was an Italian immigrant, and um, you know, we, we were very close, but uh, we didn't necessarily have a lot of the same interests that my uncle Carmine and I did. My uncle Carmine uh, was very into sports, very into radio. He helped facilitate my love of uh, of radio. He knew everything about everything. You could throw him a question. You could say, hey, um, you know, why do what was the first baseball expansion team? And he would give you an expansive answer as to how expansion teams got started. You could also ask him, hey, what, why did they fight the War of 1812? And he would be able to give you an example about that. But he wouldn't do it in a pretentious manner. He was a very street smart guy, spoke still as if He was from um, the Lower East Side and uh, was just very down to earth while being not only a great athlete and a great coach, but a very, very gifted intellect. And um, but no, um, he was not who I named my son for. So in my family, our tradition is that the you name your first son after your father. So my father is named Carmine uh and uh, I was his first son, so he named me after his father, who was named frank and uh my my uh and Frank named his son Carmine after his father, who was also named carmine, so in our family, you name your son after your your first son after your father,
11: oh. Well, I hope Carmine grows up to be just like your uncle, just like your dad, just like you.
2: Wow, that's very, very kind. Thank you very, very much. (laughs) I hope he's a lot better than me, that's for sure. He's well on his way, just to ask his mother. Karen is in Rockland County. Hello, Karen.
11: Good morning. How are you? I uh, saw you were a lover of scallion cream cheese, huh?
2: I love every type of cream (laughs) cheese, but if I have to pick one that's going to go on a bagel for a last meal... I think the scallion cream cheese would give me would be exotic enough
11: question, though, to leave a
2: little bit of flavor <laughs> and yet still be able to go with the locks as well.
11: All right, my hypothetical question is, though, if you were the uh, what would you do or how would you feel if you were the American astronaut up in the space station and you heard that Russia wanted to <sighs> abandon that American astronaut?
2: You know it's so funny that that uh, story came out yesterday because I asked Dr. Sky about it on Wednesday, and he seemed pretty confident that it was going to be all copacetic up there I'd be pretty nervous uh, if people don't <laughs> I, I'd be really nervous i mean um i don't i I think uh, the kind of fraternity that exists internationally among astronauts will prevail here, and we won't see anything crazy happen like that. That's my hope. I hope but not. Uh, I, oh, I, I, I was so wrong about this invasion to begin with that uh, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. We'll see, Karen. 800-848-WABC. WABC. Three open lines. If you want to uh, ask a question on any subject, uh, 800-848-9222. There's a question from David via email. Hello. Sliwa said his favorite New York City movie was Goodfellas. What's yours? Hmm. My favorite New York City movie. There's so many to choose from. I love a good New York City movie. Um, I would consider um, it would not be Goodfellas. I I like Goodfellas, but to say it's my favorite no. Um I could I could see it being Ghostbusters. I really like Ghostbusters. Um hmm I uh what else? almost any Woody Allen movie uh really fits that bill. Manhattan is kind of a love letter uh to New York. I'm going to say Ghostbusters though. Ghostbusters Saturday Night Fever is great. Um I mean to me when I think of a New York City movie it's not only a movie that I enjoy but it's a movie that makes you love New York City a little bit more. Um, when it comes to, see, Brooklyn to me is its own entity, right? I consider Brooklyn almost, even though it's a vibrant part of New York City life, I can see, I see Brooklyn as a totally different animal. So if you were going to pick, if I was going to pick the best Brooklyn movie, I would pick either Saturday Night Fever or the Warriors, uh, because I love Coney Island. But um, when you're talking about New York City as a whole, I think I might pick Ghostbusters or Moonstruck. One of those two, I, you can't go wrong with either of them. I'm going to say Moonstruck, okay? Uh, because they Moonstruck does showcase more different parts of the city than. Um, than Ghostbusters does. You have Little Italy. You have Camerarius Bakery. You have the Met. Um, and you just uh, I'm gonna I'll say Moonstruck. That'll be my final answer. It's a tough one though. It's a tough one. You give me any Woody Allen movie instead of one of the ones that I said, and I will still take it. Uh, Woody Allen's films were all just a, a great love letter to New York City. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Michael is in Missouri. Hello, Michael.
16: Tomorrow, Frank. I have a question about uh, the Friars Club. Sure. And if I if I can, um, there's only one Friars Club, right? In New York. Currently, there used to be
2: there used to be one in Los Angeles as well, but it closed.
16: Okay, but it's a members only, right. uh, and you're a member of, right? Correct, and it's the same Friars Club that did the roasts on TV back in the day. That's right. Yes, is um, now when they do a roast, do they still do the roasts?
2: It's been and a while. Uh, they're doing their first. Uh, it's not a roast, but they're doing a tribute dinner, which is like a roast uh, to um, Tracy Morgan in May.
16: Okay, that'd be that'd be interesting. But when they do that, is that members only or by invitation? Or if you're a member of it, you can go, and have you ever been to one, and who did you? No, oh,
2: uh, I've been to a lot of Friars. It's a great question. I've been to a lot of Friars Club events over the years. I've hosted some of my own events there, but no, I've never been to a Friars Club roast. Um, usually the way those events work, though, is there's one price for members, and then there's one price for non-members, but the members always get a uh, first crack at buying tickets.
16: Gotcha. And who was the last one you saw?
2: I, I I've never seen a, a Friars Club roast in person.
16: Oh, okay,
2: yeah, uh, Okay, well, good question. I can't catch you though. on YouTube sometime then. Uh, yeah, no, there's a lot of great ones on YouTube, and uh, thanks for the thanks for the call there. But uh, yeah, I'm looking for. I may go to this uh, Tracy Morgan dinner in in May. It's going to be at the Ziegfeld Ballroom, um, and they're also going to pay tribute to other deceased, recently deceased Friars like uh, Betty White and uh, Bob Saget. So, um, that's, that should be fun, but it is going to be quite pricey. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to John in Brooklyn. Hello.
13: Hi, Frank. Good talking to you again. It's been a long
2: time. Absolutely, John. It's great to hear from you.
13: I have a good question. Would you ever interview musicians? And if so, what genres?
2: Well, I, I'm up for – I have interviewed musicians. Uh, I uh, interviewed uh, – uh, recently I did uh, Harry Chapin's daughter on the anniversary of his passing. Um, I've interviewed Dina Martin, who's a musician in her own right. Uh, I've uh, spoken with Tony Orlando, who's a terrific musician. Um, I, 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 I like talking to people in a wide variety. Of, uh, of genres i um so i 'm up for talking to everybody I was, I, I was one of my favorite new young singers is a woman named Brielle von Hugel, who I know, and she became a star by going on american idol and she 's from my hometown, so I knew her before she became super famous and I was trying and I find her to have one of the most soulful, most impressive voices there are there is. And uh, she's great. And I, I had arranged to have her on the, last week, but the timing just didn't work. It was just too late for her. We may try and do something in, uh, in the future. But um, she, she's somebody who not only has a great voice but has a lot to say. So I think that um, you know I'm up for talking to any, any, any sort of musician as long as they're interesting. Like, in the case of um, – I'll save it for when we have Brielle on the show. But the point is she's done a lot of interesting things. Uh, but, yeah, I love love talking to musicians. 800-848-9222. What, that's 1-800-848-WABC. Tony is in New Jersey. Hello, Tony.
13: How are you doing, Frank? Uh, I was wondering uh, what, what pizzeria you think is the best on Staten Island. Oh, my
2: goodness. That is one of the most difficult questions that I've gotten asked on the show. And it's one that keeps coming up, right, because there's no one answer. It all depends on what kind of pizza you like right so yeah. there's not one answer to this there's the best uh, the the answer for the best clam pie that's Lee's Tavern uh and the best bar pie that's Lee's Tavern if you t- uh-huh. now if you're talking about um the best Specialty slice. Um, then I'm going to go with the tri pie, which is a, an amazing pizza pie that has pesto sauce on it, vodka sauce, and marinara sauce. And it's made by Joe and Pat's and Ciro's. That's kind of the same family that owns both spots. That's an incredible spot. If you're talking uh best gourmet pizza pie, I'm going Pizzeria Jovi uh in New Dorp. If you're talking best overall, best overall pie, I'm probably going to go with uh I'm probably going to go with Daninos. Uh now oh, okay. if if you want something that's a little bit of a thicker, uh, a thicker pizza pie, then that's not what you'd pick. Uh you'd go yeah. Tony's Brick Oven or there if you're talking coal fire, um you go Campania. If you're uh-huh. talking, um, if you're talking wood-fired, you know there's a great spot. There's one in Jersey too called Millie's, which makes both coal-fired and wood-fired pizza. And I love to go with a few people and get one of each because you yeah. can taste the difference between a pizza out of a wood-fired oven and pizza out of a coal-fired oven. So there's no, there's no answer. It all depends. It all depends on what type of pizza you want to try.
13: Have you ever tried the anchovy pizza?
2: Um, I have had anchovies on pizza. I couldn't tell you where where my favorite spot with anchovy uh, pizza is. uh, But um, do you have a recommendation for one? Well, I used to. When I was
13: a kid uh, in the 1960s, uh, I lived across the street from Danino's. Oh. And and, uh, we had. I was a pizza heaven when I was a kid because we had Venetian Gardens, which was a couple houses down from us, and Jean's. Which was about five stores down from us. So uh, on a Friday night, we'd go. It was the summertime; it was so hot out in those days. We had uh, no air conditioning, so we'd sit out on the front porch, and we—my dad would go get a pizza. And you get a large pizza in those days for a dollar twenty-five <laughs> for a large pizza, and uh, we'd have our pizza there. My mother worked at Phoenician Gardens. So she'd bring home some uh pies sometimes and uh and on uh, if uh, you went for a communion or something like that special occasion we'd go to jeans and they'd have other not just pies but other meals and you know uh, I, I think I had my first ante pasta
2: in jeans that's great uh, that's great tony uh, great story, I appreciate the question if you have a question now's the time to call in. We have one two, three open lines eight 800- hundred. 848 That's one 800 848 Tom writes, if you run out of non-Ukraine questions or for the later segment you said you're doing on Ukraine, although I don't see a Ukraine guest on the Twitter teeth. Well, Tom, first of all, we do a lot of discussion about subjects that don't involve guests. Uh, In the light of the past few weeks, do you wish to revise any of your prior assessments of Putin's foreign policy agenda, territorial intentions, tolerance of dissent or trustworthiness? If Vladimir Posner were on your show today, do you think he would leave? He would have the same things to say about life in Russia and the freedom of its citizens to express dissent that he said when he was on the show a couple of months ago. One, I am going to try and get Vladimir Posner on the show next week. Two, I don't know how many more times I can say it. I think I've said it almost every day. Since the invasion began, I was completely wrong about Putin's uh, desire to invade Ukraine. And especially once they sort of ruled out troops, uh, NATO troops in Ukraine, there was no reason for Putin to do to do what he's doing. I mean, to me, it's not only criminal, um, even though you can understand his his his, um, you know, what he's saying is the basis for this. It's not only criminal and a violation of international law, but it's completely irrational. I don't think he had to do this at all, Uh, and I didn't think he would. So I was completely, um, you know, wrong about it. I'm not sure how many more times I could say it. Completely wrong. Could not have been more hopelessly wrong. 800-848-9222. Christian is in Long Beach. Hello, Christian. Franklin Marana. Oh, is is this? This is Christian Arnold. It is Christian Oh, oh yeah. I would. We would have put you right through had I known that was you, Christian. What are do you doing? Uh, don't you have a special number you can call? Probably, but I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, I, for people that years. don't remember, Christian, Christian was the <laughs> producer of this show and the news anchor uh, when this show was was uh, was in its in its first year. So it's great to talk to you, Ben.
3: I've been good, Frank. How's uh, how's life? How's Rachel? How's the baby? How's fatherhood?
2: Uh, all four of those things are are just fine in varying forms or another. Uh, did you did you have a specific question or was it just that more general question?
3: No, no. I wanted to say hello, and I did. I, obviously, baseball was starting up or is starting up now. And the first person I thought who I'm sure is over the moon about this is you, Frank. So I had to get your thoughts on the Mets and where you see them going this season.
2: Oh well, you know, I, I honestly I am wrong about this every year, but I'm pretty optimistic. <laughs> About the Mets. I mean, Max Scherzer alone, I think, uh, is is going to be a game changer. I think that um, we're going to have the one of the best starting uh, pitching lineups in all of baseball. And um, I, I think, you know, we're not going to necessarily have the same sort of uh, hitting problems that we have previously. But every year I get excited about this and every year the same thing happens. Two or three of our stars get injured and they're out for six months. Uh, so, look, who knows? But I'm pretty optimistic. I feel good about the Mets' chances. My next trip to Atlantic City, which hopefully you'll come, I will. I'm uh, going to lay down a, a nice, nice bet on the Mets.
3: Well, Frank, you let me know when you're going. I'll, I'll definitely try and make it. Wonderful, uh, because uh, I will definitely put a bet down on the Mets with you. I feel, I feel somewhat optimistic, which is, which is scares me because that's never a good
2: thing <laughs> christian it's great to hear from you i miss you pal i hope to see you soon
3: you too frank definitely
2: all right we're going to continue with your questions in a minute 800-848-9222-1234 open lines jennifer peter george ted we're going to try and get to your questions and a few email questions as well and by the way i didn't mention this earlier whoever comes up with the best question is going to be rewarded a complimentary the other side of midnight Baseball cap. Now, that best question is determined not by me, but by our uh, staff of majority vote of Matt, Molly and occasionally Alex. I don't think they let Alex contribute much in terms of selecting the question, uh, but uh I don't know. I mean, it's a majority vote anyway. So Matt and Molly have kind of formed their own little faction. And so if you have a question and if it's a good one, you might be able to win a baseball cap. 1-800-848-9222. Now is the time. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
1: We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Murano.
2: Side of Midnight, I'm Frank Moreno. Big thank you to Matt Blaze for playing the Bee Gees there. Uh, we are taking your questions on any subject at 800-848-9222, as we always do because we're doing a...
1: The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything.
2: Ask Frank anything. All right, my wife is sending in a message. Uh, she said, um, your son slept four hours, which is decent. Now we're listening to you. Our question for you is if you could have more of one of the following without any negative consequences, which would it be? Cigars, booze, food, or sleep? Huh. Well, I could use some more sleep. That's for sure, as you know, honey. Uh, and I know you could as well. You know, it would not be cigars or booze because the negative, the negatives about cigars or booze is part of what makes it so fun. The fact that, um, you know, that you really, you know, that, that it burns your throat if you uh, drink too much or it may, you lose your voice if you smoke too much. That sort of, I don't know, leads you not to do it more than the point that's pleasurable. So I would say it's food. I mean, I don't know how other people are, but in my case, I feel like if I'm not eating nothing, I gain weight like that, right? I feel like if I'm not eating um, literally like a bird, I instantly gain significant amount of weight. So if I could have uh, more of any of those with no negative consequences, it would be, I think it would be the food, probably. Uh, George is in Brooklyn. What's your question, George?
13: Okay. Who was the most famous caller to Joe Franklin's weekly radio program on WOR requesting
2: music? Um, I I guess I would probably say John Lennon.
13: Uh, I would say President Nixon. Yeah, President I, Nixon used I read an article in the Sunday magazine section of the Daily News maybe 40 years ago that said that President Nixon used to call him almost every week requesting
2: yeah. songs. Look, I'll be honest with you George. I knew Joe I think as well as anybody. Um that that sounds like the kind of thing that Joe said but wasn't actually true. Um the the thing with Joe is And I love him. I mean, I think my fondness for him is well-established. The thing with Joe is whenever anybody famous would die, Joe would always tell the exact same story, right? So he he would be on TV or be on radio or people would interview him or he would just meet them in a bar somewhere. And he would uh, always say – it didn't matter how famous they were. It could be Charlie Chaplin or uh, whatever, presidents, kings, doesn't matter. Joe would always say the same thing. Oh, you know, I uh, years after he died, uh or re- recently I ran into uh, uh President Nixon's daughter and uh uh she uh, she said to me, uh you know, my father would watch you on TV every night. He loved you. He always wanted to come on. He just never never was always ashamed to ask. I, I mean, he said that about Charlie Chaplin. Now Charlie Chaplin lived in Switzerland. For the last 20 years of his life, but somehow he had a satellite hookup to Channel 9 and he was watching Joe Franklin's show. It just, again, I know Joe well enough that I don't think that happened. 800 uh, 848 Let me see who's been holding the longest. I want to squeeze in at least one more call here. Jennifer is in Boston. Hello, Jennifer. Hey, Frank. A uh, couple of quickies. Um,
11: can you hear me okay? Perfectly. Okay, sorry. it just It sounded dead. Okay. Mushrooms. Do you like canned as well as fresh?
2: I mean, I, I prefer fresh, but I would deal with canned. And if the choice is I canned or none, I would take the canned.
11: Okay, yeah. I always have to ask if they're not fresh. You can keep them. Um, and the other thing is I had a quick thing. I thought of it when um, uh, James Colden was just talking about the ABC gift store. I thought when Curtis is on the other, <laughs> he's calling people asking to rat you out. I thought you should have a shirt in your store and it should say, I read it out, Frank Morano, and all I got was this lousy. Oh, t-shirt. you know,
2: Jennifer, that is brilliant. Molly, can we suggest right. that in our Friday meeting? Hello, today? That's that's that is a brilliant suggestion, Jennifer. All right, Thank and you. it's a good conversation piece. So uh, there you go. Uh, no doubt about that. that. Is outstanding. Thank you, Jennifer. Great call. Uh, all right. Um, ra- rather than uh, squeeze in one more call here, I'll let Matt and Molly make their selection now. Those of you that are on hold. If you want to be grandfathered in, we'll try and get to you. No promises. I got a lot of other stuff to get to. We got three guests coming up and denunciations. So it's rare that we have three guests on one Friday show. I like to have a Friday show with no guests, but uh, maybe Monday we'll do no guests. We have three guests coming up, all great, all interesting people. Matt Blaze, have you guys come to a decision? It's got to be Jennifer. Jennifer in Boston. Yeah. All right. With well, that question? I, with Jennifer that, absolutely. in Boston call back and uh, but you know what I feel like you're rewarding her more for her her comment and less for her question.
7: Oh, that's true.
2: But whatever. Hey, I'm not going to question I, your methodology. We like it. All right. Jennifer in Boston call back and uh give Molly your information and we're going to send you something nice and hopefully you can wear it with pride the next time you go to the Cheers bar. All right. Um coming up If you want to talk about Ukraine, now's the time. There's an aspect of this whole Russia situation that uh, I feel like everybody's just taking for granted. And we're going to get into that in just a bit. Uh, Meantime, I would uh, remind you that uh, we're going to talk with – we're going to do denunciation to three. We're going to talk aliens with Nick Pope at uh, 2.30. Not aliens specifically, but – UFOs and stuff like that. And Debbie Schlussel joining me to talk movies in the 4 o'clock hour. Daylight saving time this weekend. We'll talk about it with uh, uh, somebody that's trying to stop it. Until then, keep asking questions.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. All right. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last two weeks, uh, we have been following this invasion of uh, of Ukraine by Russia pretty closely. And um, there's one aspect of this, which almost every day, you know, you hear me do the business reports during the 5 a.m. hour, and I mention a new company that, uh, that fits this description, and Every day, there's another company that announces, we're no longer operating in Russia. McDonald's, suspending operations in Russia. Uh, Starbucks, suspending operations in Russia. Adidas, suspending operations in Russia. ExxonMobil, um, you know, you name it. Uh, Hermes, Chanel, uh, you name it, all. Or PayPal. Company after company, Visa, Mastercard, American Express—they all announced they're boycott Netflix, Warner Brothers. They all announced that they're pulling out of Russia. And I guess we've all sort of taken for granted that this um, this is the right thing to do, and maybe it is. But I see it a little differently, and it's funny in the Facebook group. And people can join the Facebook group group at Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Rosie Rosito uh, commented on McDonald's making their announcement that they're pulling out of Russia. And basically she said the only people that this really punishes are the people that live there. And I have to say that is pretty close to my view. My thinking is that if a company pulls out of Russia, an international company, Starbucks, McDonald's, does it hurt the Russian economy? Yes, absolutely. Does it make it more difficult for Vladimir Putin to uh, find money to pay the military? I don't think so, because one of the things that we've seen as a result of American sanctions over the last few years, but recently especially is that the Russian economy has become even more and intertwined with China and other American adversaries. I talk, When we were talking about Venezuela the other day, when America instituted all these sanctions on Venezuela, the Russians were only too happy to make up for the shortfall uh, in products that the Venezuelans still wanted to buy. And it was... Um, so the Russian economy has only become more anti-American. In my view, if we want the, um, the Russian people to have a positive view of America, one of the best things that we can do is export Coca-Cola and General Motors and Apple and great American movies and have them love American culture uh, because they're exposed to it. My thinking is twofold, that by all these American companies boycotting Russia, one, it, it gives Putin such a great straw man. Hey, the economy's not doing well. You can't pay your rent. You're worried about being evicted. You know who to blame. America, the West, those guys that are boycotting you, they have made our economy uh, such a, a difficult a difficult situation. So I think it gives Putin such a straw man, number one. Number two, I think it it depri it hurts people that had no 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 input in the decision to invade this country at all. Um and number three, I think some of our best public relations is by doing business in these countries. I really do. And look, I chronicled this when I spoke with um, the gentleman the other day about the films in China. China is an uh, an authoritarian communist dictatorship that suppresses human rights, that doesn't allow freedom of religion, that doesn't allow freedom of expression, that, um, that may have played a pretty significant role in unleashing a deadly pandemic on the world. Actually not may have, they did play a pretty significant role in unleashing a deadly pandemic on the world and lying not only to their own people, but the whole world about it. And yet these companies are not pulling out of China because it's not yet a PC thing to do to pull out of China and they don't want to hurt their own bottom line by denying themselves access to the billion people that are in China. How about Saudi Arabia, a country which President Biden and his administration is apparently now ready to run to, to beg, to pump more oil? Uh, Saudi Arabia did not allow women to drive until a few years ago. Saudi Arabia is a country that still executes people for sorcery. Saudi Arabia is a country that still kills people for being homosexual. Saudi Arabia is one of the few countries other than ours that still has the death penalty. They'll cut off your hands if you're caught stealing in Saudi Arabia. Is that a country whose values that you want to stand with? And yet, why is it okay that McDonald's and Starbucks and all these companies continue to operate in Saudi Arabia? I'm not saying they shouldn't. I want them operating in Saudi Arabia. Because um, I think some of the best work that can be done in terms of liberalizing these countries, whether it's China, Russia, Saudi Arabia, is winning over their citizens with American television and American music and American hamburgers. So I don't think this is a good strategy. I have to be honest. And I'm curious if any of you agree with me. 800-848-WABC, that's 1-800-848-9222. Company after company, every day, Heineken pulled out yesterday. Every day is a different company announcing that they are pulling out of Russia. And the idea is this will squeeze Russia. Well, maybe it will, but I think the most immediate impact is denying these Russians access to American goods and services. And I don't necessarily think that's the best thing. Also on the Ukraine front story that Molly uh, brought to my attention, uh, I think last week, but the role that Airbnb is playing in helping Ukraine is pretty interesting. Now, are you familiar with Airbnb? I've rented Airbnbs all over the place. We've done it in Cape May. We've done it in Atlantic city. I've done it, you know, in a lot of different places. It's a great to book a room to stay someplace. If you don't want to stay in a hotel Basically, someone rents out their ro- a room or their house or whatever the case may be, and you pay them for it, and it's all done online. It's great. It's really a wonderful service and a, a really a, a terrific innovation. Well, what they're doing in Ukraine is Airbnb guests are booking all sorts of rentals in Kiev, in the heart of Ukraine's capital, even though they have no intention of ever checking in. They're doing this as a means of getting money to the Ukrainians, getting aid to the Ukrainians. So I got to tell you, I've never never thought about this as a way of doing charity, but it is very clever. So this idea has picked up all sorts of momentum, and guests from around the world have now booked more than 61,000 nights in Ukraine. And I think this is really clever. And uh, I would really love to hear your view on that as well. So these companies that are all pulling out of Russia, what do you think? I don't think it's a good idea. I don't think it's good for America. I don't think it's good for Russia. And I don't think it's doing much for the Ukrainians. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-WABC. And if you have thoughts on this um, Airbnb being used to aid the Ukrainians, you're welcome to comment on that as well. Or if you have thoughts about the Ukraine situation more generally, uh, apparently uh, this Russian convoy that was approaching Ukraine's capital city of Kiev has uh, just dispersed. I saw our friend Colonel Daniel Davis on television uh, talking about that just recently. He, we're going to have him back next week as well. There's a lot of folks that we have in the pipeline for next week. You, you know who we have on next week? We have a couple of really interesting guests next week. I think Monday we're going to go guest free. But because there's a lot, we have a lot of guests today, and there's a lot of stuff that I wanted to get to that we didn't have a chance, that we're not going to have a chance to. But um, we have on this show next week Ralph Nader, one of my favorites. And I believe this is tentative, but I have it on good authority that I am going to be joined for a full hour on this show next week by Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort. What other radio show in America? Can have Ralph Nader one day and Paul Manafort the next. I mean, come on. eight hundred eight four eight WABC 800-848-9222-123456 open lines if you want to jump on board. Annette is on Long Island. Hello, Annette.
9: Oh, uh, good evening. Uh,
11: uh, I called earlier, and uh, now I realize that my what I'm. I'll be be very brief because I'm not calling about the Ukraine, uh, but a point of interest. Uh, callers have been calling in on other shows, and I'm sure you'll get the call too. Wondering what happened to Carol from New Jersey. She was very popular. Sure, what every happened? Every single day. She moved to London uh, way back in the fall. I believe it was around Thanksgiving. She said she was. But going she to be she called last week. Months.
2: She called last week.
11: I don't think so. I listen every single night. I I,
2: I think she. I feel like she called at least last week.
11: It uh, could be, but but
2: I know she was planning on moving. To London. I heard it yeah. again tonight. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'll uh, we'll have to check the records. Matt Blaze has established a very meticulous log of everything that goes on on this show. Every minute is logged, so we'll check the log. We'll see the last time that she called this show, and we'll report back. But I know she was planning on moving to London. She said that she uh, she's been very vocal about that. But I, I guess they don't have phones in London. If that's the case, Jim is in Edison. Hello, Jim.
9: Hey, Frank. uh, First, I'd like to say that I recognize you as a lifelong, fervent Mets fan. That's true.
2: That is, yes, that is absolutely right.
9: (laughs) I'm just wondering, uh, first of all, I would always be able to hang out with you, brother. Uh, You are a very talented individual in your profession. Thank you. As far as recreation goes, you're very common with the alcohol the smoking and the gambling right up my alley.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess thanks, Jim.
9: Anyway, I would just like to ask the first time you went to Shea Stadium and how old were you? Uh,
2: the first time I went to Shea, that's a good question. Um my first games were Yankee games actually, even though I am a oh, Mets me, fan. Me too. Uh but uh, my first baseball game that I remember, I was probably about 4 or 5. I went with uh, Oh
9: my god.
2: Yeah, uh, Did you have
9: any idea what was going on? A little bit.
2: I, you know, I remember, you know, and and thanks, Jim. Uh, what I remember is um, mostly uh, people who uh, that I went to the game with and went with my parents and our neighbors, the Carreras. And I remember crying because I didn't understand what was going on and not getting satisfactory answers to my question. And then as we were driving home and I was still crying because I was confused, about what was happening at the game. They were saying, uh, oh, he's just tired. And it made me so angry that they were, to, they were writing off my unhappiness and confusion due to fatigue. And it just drove, drove me crazy. But it was a Yankee, a Yankee game. It was about four or five years old. I don't remember who they played or anything like that. Henry's in Manhattan. Hello, Henry.
15: Hi, good, good evening.
13: Uh, about these companies pulling out of Russia – this is not permanent. This is only uh, to show solidarity with the U.S. government. Uh, it, it won't affect uh, uh, Russia economically, but it shows the people that uh, the U.S. government has support.
2: All right. Well, I, so you're all in favor of these companies pulling out. Absolutely. All I right. mean, well, you're in the I, majority. I that... You're in the majority. Okay. Huh.
3: Sometimes I am. Not usually. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Uh, Joe is in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe.
3: Hey, Frank. Another great show. I was, I uh, guess I posted a picture, number one, on your Facebook group of me wearing a hat. I a nice compliments. Um, me and my wife are so beside ourselves about what happened yesterday about that hospital being bombed for all those pregnant women and children and, I don't know. My views at first were we we shouldn't send anybody in to, uh, you know, uh, help support Ukraine as far as U.S. soldiers. But my, my views are changing, Frank, because when you start seeing stuff like that, I think we need to uh, rise up. And, uh, but, but I could know, show you
2: I could show you the same images coming out of Yemen right now of what our allies, the Saudis, are doing to yeah. Yemeni women and children. And, and then does that mean we should intervene in Yemen? I, I don't think so, right? So there's a war, in, there's war in a lot of places. Admittedly, it's, um, it's more widespread in Ukraine than it is in most places, but there's war in Yemen. There's war in Ethiopia and there's horrible atrocities going on in both of those places that we, we could show you. But I, I don't think it's the job of the United States military to go and intervene in all these places.
3: Well, I I agree on that point with you. It's just how long, you know, this can go on. You know, you're a very bright guy, Frank. And I'm not, like Curtis Lee would say, Junior your jock uh, short here. Uh, you're a bright guy, and this could go on for years. And it's just, it's unfair to all these innocent people that are dying. But again, I understand where you're coming from, and I do agree that we maybe, I guess, should wait it out a little bit longer. But, um, Hey, have a great weekend. Enjoy your family. All right. Thank
2: you, Joe. Appreciate it. I- I'll be honest. One of the things that I've been very frustrated by is the level of hysteria that so many American politicians are are trying to gin up here. You have um, Democrats who ha- seemingly, with with the exception of Ilhan Omar and Cory Bush, and a couple of others who seem to have this bloodlust go into Ukraine, go into Ukraine. And then you have all these Republicans like Tom Cotton and Willard Mitt Romney who say, Oh, they're not being tough. He's not, Biden's not being tough enough, not being tough enough. Um, Tom Cotton is declared yesterday that Vladimir Putin is on course to invade the United States. Now that's not true. That's, it's not going to happen. He explicitly warned that Putin would not stop in Europe and invoke the prospect of a military base in the continental U.S. being seized by Russia, Um, that is so bizarre that he would try and sell that to Americans. Brian Fitzpatrick, moderate Republican from Pennsylvania, is pushing for a no-fly zone, as are some Democratic members of Congress as well. And to me, that's the most insane thing we could do right now. Because that essentially guarantees we're in World War III. So um, I just – I think we need to figure out a way out of this. And I'll tell you the statesman that I've been most impressed with here. It's certainly not Vladimir Putin. It's certainly not Vladimir Zelensky who seems to be trying to goad us into World War III. It's um, Naftali Bennett, the prime minister of Israel. And I had my doubts about his foreign policy chops. But his seeming enthusiasm in trying to mediate a dispute here and trying to mediate a diplomatic solution between Russia and Ukraine, that's the kind of leadership that I wish we were seeing from people like uh, Boris Johnson and uh, President Joe Biden. Uh, And, uh, you know, he's really impressed me here. So I don't know. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Mike is on Long Island. Mike, what about it? You think these companies are doing the right thing by pulling out? Well, Frank, this
7: is Mike Averco, by the way. I couldn't oh, help Mike. but wow. to have to wow. call. Hi. Uh, great show last night with uh, Aaron Mott. Thank you. Thanks well, for listening. To get to the crux of your uh, points, um, some respectful disagreement. First of all, let me point out McDonald's announced that they're going to be paying their employees in Russia during the suspension. So the Russian employees of McDonald's are not going to be hurt. When you talk about McDonald's, Pepsi, and Coke, I mean, this is not healthy stuff. And so Russia actually stands to benefit on that front. And then number two... Russians have domestic alternatives of good quality, so this gives them, you know, a better opportunity of the market. What is really disgusting is uh, the International Olympic Committee recommending that sports federations not invite Russians. And you have Sebastian Coe, the head of world athletics, governing track and field, not inviting any Russians. I'm sorry, this is bigotry. I mean... Over the years, whether we like it or not, our country, for that matter, Israel. And the reason why I mention Israel is because I grew up on New York Talk Radio. And I go back to the 1970s when I used to hear Barry Farber and Barry Gray complain about how the world is hypocritical against Israel. And you know what? I had a certain amount of sympathy for him, but Israel never faced the sort of bigotry that Russia and Russians are facing right now, where uh, Israel was outrightly banned from the Olympic movement. Their athletes, I mean, they're not even recommending that they could compete as neutrals. Okay, I mean this is absurd. And then Anna Trebko is essentially banned from the Metropolitan. Um,
2: oh, I mean that's opera. just atrocious. I mean, yeah, again, and, you're and, right. You know, it's the, it's yeah, racism. And, yeah,
7: no, and, you know, Chrystia Freeland, who's Finance Minister of Canada, she has family ties, and she has openly flown the black and red uh, pro Stepan Bandera flag. Nobody takes her to task, but Netrebko, she gets castigated when she visited rebel Donbass, which, by the way, was strictly charity work. And when she was younger, she said something flirtatious about Vladimir Putin. But is that a crime? to ban her? And I want to tell you something about Gretzky. Um, I lost all respect for the man. I consider him despicable when he advocates banning the Russian junior ice hockey team. You know what? If you want to get to that level, you could ban the Ukrainian team because the Kiev regime has bombed the hell out of the people at Donbass. Now, I don't support this sort of bans. I just want to point out the gross hypocrisy.
2: Well, well said, Mike. Thank you for calling. Thank you. Sir. And uh, we'll connect on uh, Mike Averko. Uh, I agree with, first of all, uh, I don't agree. The first thing he said that uh, oh, the Russians are benefiting because Russian because uh, uh, Coca Cola and Pepsi and McDonald's are not good for you. Still, I still think it would be nice to have that that option. Uh, but I agree with everything else he said there. I think this is with these these sports federations like FIFA and others, uh, the International Olympic Committee banning the Russians not even allowing them to compete as neutral. He's right. This is bigotry. We are seeing a level of anti-Russia bigotry. and we're, this, is, this is the new McCarthyism. You just have to say, I'm waiting for the guy that's going to make a big issue about renaming Russian dressing. We're not going to call it Russian dressing anymore. We're going to call it Ukrainian dressing. Uh, Lou is in Belmar. Hello, Lou.
0: Um hi Mike. I think this is a I'm dangerous road to go down. Uh, this is a frank, I'm sorry. This is a dangerous road to go down. Number one, uh because we don't elect uh the heads of companies or, or the boards of companies and now that we're allowing them to set policy, uh and you know, you can always put your finger on the politician that whose policy you don't elect uh, you don't like. You can't do that with a company. And and they can greatly affect uh, policy. You're seeing it being done now on a worldwide basis. Imagine what they can do in a country like Facebook's and like Twitter did with our right to uh, to speak.
2: Well, and, and look, right you, you, you know, I, I wouldn't be bothered by this as much. If these companies applied the same standard to every authoritarian regime. But I have a big problem with a company continuing to um continuing to set up shop in China, continuing to have businesses in Saudi Arabia. And yet Russia is the one place that they're saying, oh, no, no, no they're too evil for us to service their people. What about all the people that That's are out exactly there? Exactly
0: right. What about all the people? Great who- point.
2: What about all the people, Lou, that are out there protesting in the streets of Russia against what Putin's doing? Don't they deserve the right to buy a That's Coca-Cola right. or get a hamburger? And those are actually the people who are getting hurt. Not exactly. <laughs> not you think Putin's being – being? Uh, he's concerned because he's not able to buy a Heineken now? Of course not. It's the stupidest thing in the world. It just goes – I mean, it's not quite as bad as all the people that were, were pouring out Stoli vodka last week, but – it's the same principle. It's grandstanding and it's political correctness over logic.
0: But it's also giving them the power, uh, uh, Frank. It's giving them the power. You, we don't, we can't elect those. If if they do something we don't like, we have no power as individual citizens in this country to to make them do otherwise. We can do that with a politician with our vote. They shouldn't be allowed to do this. Uh, absolutely not.
2: Well said, Lou. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Coming up in a few minutes, uh, we're going to talk with Nick Pope. He's a journalist. He's a UFO expert, and he's a former employee of the British Ministry of Defense. He was basically in charge of the British government's unit that dealt with UFOs. We're going to ask him where we are and what the U.S. government is doing and what other governments are doing in terms of UAPs. A lot of people predicting that 2022 could be the year for broader disclosure where the governments finally say what they know about UFOs and, and UAPs. Mark is in New Haven. Hello, Mark.
15: Good morning, Frank. How's Rocco and the baby? Everybody good?
2: Everybody is great. Thank you.
15: Excellent. So I have, I have a slightly different view um, that it is my hope that the uh, – Pulling out of the these companies pulling out puts pressure on uh, on Putin loses the ability to lead the Russian people that if people are jonesing for a Starbucks cup of coffee, that they might push Putin out of office. Might be far fetched. might be wrong, but that's a different way of looking at it.
2: Well, and no, that's exactly what some other people are saying here that support these companies boycotting it. I don't think that that's likely, but we'll see. As it stands now, I think one of the few companies that's still actually operating in Russia, believe it or not, is Ben & Jerry's. They couldn't get out of the so-called occupied territories fast enough, but they're still in Russia. Uh, Before we get to Nick Pope, let me say hello to Dave in Manasquan. Hello, Dave.
5: Hey, Frank. I'm going to play devil's advocate for Russia here for a second. Most people don't understand that Ukraine was part of the um, Soviet Union. Uh, Putin looks at it that he doesn't want a nuclear weapons in Ukraine pointed at him, and NATO would do that if NATO was were, if if uh, Ukraine were to join NATO. So, well, I, I, yeah, but Dave, 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 First of all, pro-Russian. Uh,
2: yeah, I know, uh, Dave. I've done, I've done this and made those same points almost every day. Yeah,
5: so what, what but, I think they should do is split Ukraine down the middle russia on one half uh, NATO on the other half have a buffer zone. people who are pro Russians stay on the east side. people well, who want more of a democratic state stay on stay on the left I, uh, stay I, on the um west side that's
2: I think basically what you're going to see and the line is going to be the Dinapier River, which historically has been the uh the sort of the border between the west and the east. I think you'll see these two um donbass republics as independent states that are sort of russian aligned i think you'll see crimea be permanently recognized as part of russia and i think you'll yep. see ukraine uh essentially be the rest of the country hopefully it's a neutral country that never right, seeks to join nato or the eu
5: yeah and it should be a pact where neither country will put any nuclear weapons there and maybe even no forces in the country because russia wants that buffer zone. how would we like it if Russia came over and was taking parts of uh, Canada or
10: Mexico. Well,
2: again, so Dave, right? Dave, you don't have to make it a hypothetical because we saw what happened when the Germans tried to get Mexico to attack us with the Zimmerman telegram. We went to war with Germany in World War I, and we saw what happened when the Russians wanted to put nuclear weapons in Cuba. We didn't like that either. We almost, There was almost a nuclear war over it. So these are some of the same points that I make regularly. I I was hoping in this discussion – to step away from the same sort of uh, geopolitical arguments that we get into all the time and focus specifically on what these companies are doing. Are these companies doing the right thing by boycotting Russia and pulling out of Russia? My view is they're not. And to Micah Virko's point, who called in, I think these companies, international entities that are Uh, boycotting Russian artists or Russian art or Russian um, athletes. It is bigotry. It's the worst sort of bigotry. These people are in some ways just as much victims as, as everybody else is. And we're going to say they can't participate in any of our international reindeer games because their leader happens to be um, making, making criminal foreign policy decisions. I don't think that's right. 8084222. Nick Pope joins me next to talk a little bit about UFOs and what might be in the offing in terms of UAP disclosure. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead.
9: WABC.
1: The Other Side of Midnight presents the Midnight Files. Midnight Files.
14: In the desert, shooting stars across the sky. This magical journey will take us on a ride, filled with the longing, searching for the truth. Will we make it to tomorrow? Will the sun shine on you?
2: midnight in the desert this is the other side of midnight I'm Frank Moreno uh, very very pleased to be joined by Nick Pope uh, one of our favorite guests he's a former employee of the British Ministry of Defense he's something of an expert in the field of the UAPs slash UFOs, and these days he is uh, one of the best regarded journalists on this subject. Kind enough to join us once again. Hello there, Nick.
17: Hey, Frank. Nice to talk to you again.
2: It's great to talk with you, Nick. For um, we're very grateful that the the audience for this show is constantly growing. So uh, while I'm sure many people have heard our previous segments together, many folks may have not. Can you briefly summarize for folks
17: what it was that you did for the British Ministry of Defense? Sure. Well, I was a civilian employee there for 21 years. And for much of the early 90s, I ran their UFO program. And it was my job to look at the sightings, research, investigate, and determine whether there was any evidence of any threat to the defense of the UK or anything of more general defense or scientific interest.
2: And what what, can you say to the extent that you could say – What did you find while working for the British government in terms of uh, conclusive proof one way or another about this thing?
17: Well, we found that most of these things could be explained in terms of misidentifications, um, ordinary objects and phenomena, but just misperceived. But consistently over the years, a portion of these things defied any conventional explanation. And the speeds, manoeuvres, and accelerations were extraordinary. And this wasn't just eyewitness testimony, sometimes from military pilots, but it was also corroborated by radar and sometimes film too.
2: You were quoted in an article in a British publication, which asks the question whether or not aliens might be able to save the Earth from the nuclear Armageddon that uh, we appear to be on the precipice of right now. There are a lot of folks that think that um, that extraterrestrials have played some role in demilitarizing certain missile silos or certain nuclear warheads from time to time. What is the belief within the UFO community, as best you understand it, about the role aliens have played in saving us from ourselves?
17: Well, the UFO community is quite a, a broad church there's a whole spectrum of opinion but there's there's no getting away from the fact that there is this faction in the ufo community that that takes a almost a sort of spiritual new age view of all this and they they do think you know the benevolent space people are watching us and and because of these incidents and there have been these incidents with ufos seen over nuclear facilities um and allegations that the the weapons have been somehow switched off. There's this belief that almost, you know, aliens will come and step in and save us. And I'm afraid I poured a bit of cold water on that today. I said, I I was quoted in a paper as saying that, uh, you know, I don't know whether or not we are being observed by aliens, but if they are, they didn't intervene at Hiroshima or Nagasaki. (laughs) And, and, you know, it's, it's kind of, I think, abrogation of responsibility to think that they'll step in right the the aliens aliens
2: we don't have to do anything
17: no you know if if anyone is going to save us from nuclear armageddon we are going to have to do it ourselves and we shouldn't be expecting salvation from above
2: no uh you know i i think we've covered this before but i think a lot of folks are going to want to ask me uh, want me to ask you this question Given your experience and given the fact that because of your prior role and your expertise in the subject you're so frequently called upon to appear on shows like Ancient Aliens and Alien Hunters and any and shows like this one that deal extensively with UAPs etc I think a lot of folks just assume that you are you know a full-fledged believer that there's regular alien visitation to the earth do you have a belief as to whether or not extraterrestrials have visited the planet recently and how frequently those occurrences happen
17: no because of my government background i'm i'm always very careful to differentiate between what i know and what i think so uh, there isn't a smoking gun there's there's lots of Really intriguing evidence, and and of course you know Congress and the the DoD are now getting much more into this. But there isn't there isn't definitive proof. I'm sure there's life out there. I'd like to think that we're being visited because you know the world with aliens would be far more interesting than the world without. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's it's proven because it's not.
2: Just to go back to the Ukraine situation, there's been. A lot of speculation that there might be UAPs or UFOs seen over Ukraine. I'm sure you've seen some of the various photos or at least heard some of the rumors about this. What's your take about the possibility of UFOs in Ukraine?
17: It's so difficult. uh, The fog of war, even in this kind of 24-7 media uh, conflict situation, um, we are only getting a snapshot of what's going on. And, and frankly, of course, anything strange in the sky is just as likely, probably more likely, if, if, if you apply Occam's razor, to be some sort of military hardware. Everyone's firing missiles, dropping flares, etc., etc. So, you know, I keep an open mind, but I think the the default first position here must be that this is military hardware.
2: Now, um, we, you mentioned Congress and their interest in this subject. We saw the pressure that was put on Congress because of the public interest in this subject to include something in the coronavirus stimulus bill, forcing the intelligence agencies to disclose what they knew. I think what the director of national intelligence came out with came as pretty anticlimactic to a lot of folks, didn't really say much of anything then, um, is part of the recent National Defense Authorization Act, they made some changes to UFO reporting and other UFO-related provisions. Can you give us a quick, uh, a quick update as to where we are in terms of what Congress is doing on this subject?
17: Sure. I, it's actually very timely because literally today, I mean, as, as you say, the National Defense Authorization Act um, is out there, but today, I think, the... Consolidated Appropriations act uh, passed past Congress, and that has some more UFO provisions in it and it, it kind of is, is the same as as what 's come before, but one of the interesting things is that they 're now talking congress is is really saying that they want quarterly reports on this uh, classified ones there 's going to be one uh, unclassified report each year for the public and the media, but congress. You know, the fact that they now want quarterly reports, it shows that they're even more focused on this than they were. And a lot of people are saying, you know, 2022 really could be the year of the UFO.
2: Well, do you think that's the case? Do you think that because of Congress's interest that we could see 2022 be the year of the UFO?
17: I think so. I, I think for the first time, what we have now is a real political will to grip this issue. Uh, time was when politicians wouldn't touch this with a barge pole. Sure. But now, right across the political divide, it's really interesting. You've got people like Marco Rubio on, on one side. You've got people like uh, Kirsten Gillibrand on the other. and And yet, they're all saying... The time has come to hold the Pentagon and the intelligence community to account for this, uh, to have some accountability and indeed a degree of openness and transparency, though we'll see about that. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that we will so what do other governments the UK for instance but maybe even other western governments what do they do with the United States moving in the, in this direction does the UK does Germany do does, does France do other governments that may have a UFO watching program like the one you were involved with in the UK do they follow the US lead on this or do they keep doing their own thing
17: pretty much every you know sort of a fairly advanced nation in terms of, of you know air force and, and military capabilities, has some sort of a watching brief on this subject. But at the moment there's no getting away from the fact that the United States is very much in the lead on this. And and frankly, I, I'm a little bit ashamed to say this, but uh, the United Kingdom is lagging desperately behind. Um, for example, we you, you mentioned the report that um, Director of National Intelligence produced last June. There was a, an unclassified version published on the website, but a classified version too. Turns out the U.K. government has not even seen that classified version, and, and they're not even, it's not even clear they're going to ask to see it. Real?
2: So why is that? Why is the U.K. Uh, lagging so far behind on this issue?
17: Well, I think uh, part of it is a sort of bureaucratic closed mindedness that that you know for years they looked at this issue didn 't really find a smoking gun, and so they 've sort of convinced themselves that there 's nothing to see but that 's not true because there 's a much more recent intelligence assessment of course uh, conducted by the united states but it's it 's crazy this situation that the u k is almost literally saying, uh, we're not interested. We don't want to see this classified information. It's all too difficult.
2: Well, it's uh, certainly going to be interesting to see where we go from here. So your prediction is that when it comes to disclosure, when it comes to these governments, at least the United States government, being more open about what they know, that we are going to see a lot more this year than we have previously.
17: We're going to see a lot more. Congress is certainly going to keep pushing on this. And another thing, just to mention briefly, of course, this year does see the 75th anniversary of the so-called Roswell incident. And I think that's going to focus a lot of media and public attention on this this summer. Uh, You know, I
2: have done a lot of interviews on the Roswell incident. I'm sure you've studied it six ways from Sunday what, what's your best guess as to what happened at Roswell?
17: Well, something crashed for sure. And, and if you go right back to the origin of the story, this wasn't some media rumor. The U.S. military themselves put out the story uh, via a press release that they caused to be um, put out there that they had recovered what they referred to as a flying disc. Now, they walked it back within 24 hours. And and maybe we'll never know, but, you know, perhaps just finally with with Congress, with the DOD, with the mainstream news media looking at this issue, maybe the 75th anniversary of Roswell is the final opportunity to to crack this open and to dig into the archives, find a few, I don't know, probably not the original witnesses now, but, uh, you know, sons and daughters – maybe, and, and find out what the heck happened.
2: Hmm. Well, it's certainly going to be very interesting. Nick, I, I always appreciate you be, being so willing to, uh, to chat with us, including at these odd hours. I appreciate it very much.
17: Thanks, Frank.
2: 800-848-WABC if you want to comment. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll continue straight ahead.
1: It's other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC.
9: Well, my daddy left home when I was three, and he didn't leave much to Ma and me, just this old guitar and an empty bottle of food. Now, I don't blame him because he ran and hid, but the meanest thing that he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. <laughs> Well, he must have thought that it was quite a joke And it got a lot of laughs from a lots of folks Seems I had to fight my whole life through Some gal would giggle and I'd get rid And some guy'd laugh and I'd bust his head i tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue Well, I grew up quick and I grew up mean My fists got hard, my wits got keen Roamed from town to town to hide my shame But I made me a vow to the moon and stars. I'd search the home for Thompson bars. Obviously, this is A Boy Named Sue, the
2: great Johnny Cash. I'm sure you've heard this before. What some of you who are New York radio fans may not know about this song, and some of you that are literary fans may not know about this song, is do you know who wrote this song? I'm sure some of you do know this, but many of you may not. The person who wrote this was well, Shel Silverstein. That's right. The famous cartoonist and, and playwright and uh, novelist. And he, he wrote this song, and you know what he based it on? He based it on... I'm going to blow your mind with this. He based this on Gene Shepard. Gene Shepherd, the radio guy, who a lot of people said had a woman's name, Gene, that was the basis for this song, A Boy Named Sue. Shell Silverstein based it on Gene Shepard. How about that, right, as Mel Allen would say? Eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc if you want to comment on uh, any portion, portion of my conversation with the uh, in eminently interesting, eminently talented Nick Pope. Now's the time, Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. You can also... Uh, Find us uh, on Facebook at facebook.com slash morano fan. That's uh, facebook.com slash morano fan. And uh, we want to encourage if you ever miss any portion of the show, you can listen to the podcast. The best way to do that is subscribe to the podcast. Uh, the podcast is the other side of midnight. We'll get it in whatever form you listen to podcasts, iTunes, whatever the case may be. And uh, we'd appreciate it if you would leave us a nice review because that'll help other people discover the podcast. I was looking on Chartable.com and I was surprised our standing had fallen a little bit in terms of where we rank in terms of top entertainment podcasts in the world, or at least in America, it had fallen a bit. So be sure to subscribe, be sure to give us a nice review. It's worth subscribing even if you listen to the show live just for the titles that Molly comes up with the titles that Molly comes up with are so creative you know how the 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 very creative titles of the episodes of the sopranos molly does the same thing with the episodes that um you know that she that she titles here now the interesting thing with yesterday's podcast episode is that it was very controversial the the title of yesterday's podcast episode was the dominoes effect now, not the domino effect, the dominoes effect. If you listen to yesterday's show, you understand why, but what made it so controversial. And I heard from a number of people about is that Molly chose to spell the title a F F E C T. And when I brought this to Molly's attention, she was defending this, um, you know, Pardon the expression, balls to the wall. She was adamant that she had made the correct choice and that it was an intentional one. Uh, Molly, what was your uh, what was your reasoning for making this affect with an A instead of an E?
18: So I pulled up the definition of of the of uh, so I. I it, oh, this is where I'm, I'm struggling now because this is where I have to defend myself and and try to make a point And it, people might just not get me, and that's okay. Um, so the difference between effect, effect, and affect. Um, in effect is is the the object. Like in affect, affect is like it's more closely associated to like the feelings associated it's more uh, affect with an a is more uh, emotionally oriented as a word whereas effect um with an e is more like the impact of a scenario um so i wanted to get at the fact that we were talking about we were really getting at the the id of the pizza discussion you know we were we were talking quite uh you know, when you talk about like Domino, uh, New Yorkers talk about Dominoes. It gets pretty heated. So I wanted to draw a fact that we were, uh, draw attention to the fact that we are getting to the emotions of people uh, rather than just talking about, you know, okay. Domino's Pizza.
2: Fair enough. So. Fair enough. People can subscribe to the podcast, and you be the judge how the podcast turn out. Uh, just search the other side of midnight, and uh, be sure to leave us a nice review and to sub- to leave us a five star review and leave a nice little comment. Um and, and we'd certainly appreciate that. Now I will tell you. So the the w- my wife and I have three cats. They were her cats, and I moved. I adopted them when I married her. So um, I talked about how a couple of weeks ago, her favorite cat, Beth Sheba, who's the best behaved one. She's the one that gets along. With people better than anyone, she'd be friendly with anybody. Let's anybody pet her. She's just a wonderful, wonderful. Uh, I I really consider her a person. She's a wonderful person. She had my wife noticed all of a sudden lost weight very suddenly. So she takes her to the vet. The vet and she, my wife was very nervous. The vet does all sorts of tests on her blood, urine, and so forth, and all of her tests thankfully were within normal range. They did find that she had conjunctivitis, so they gave her some medicine for her conjunctivitis. And they said, bring her back in two weeks. We'll see how she's doing with the weight, and we'll do more tests if we need to. So yesterday, my wife returned to the veterinarian, and it turns out this cat had lost even more weight, which is obviously not good. Turns out also her conjunctivitis had not completely gone away. So it, we re her medication when it comes to conjunctivitis and um, they did more tests when it came to what her issue was. And so ultimately what they found was, and it could have been a lot worse, No, no diabetes, no cancer, thankfully, or anything like that. But what they found was that she has very high blood pressure and- This can happen in cats where when you have hypertension, this can cause you to actually experience significant weight loss, even if you're eating regularly, which she is. So they prescribed her some medicine for the high blood pressure. So hopefully that does the trick and hopefully she gets back into, uh, you know, back into fighting shape. But the other interesting thing we're wondering is my wife has another cat named Prissy that has been consistently urinating outside of her litter box and f- all over my wife's office all over her rug we had to throw out this 175 dollar rug because the cat had peed so many times on this rug that the smell of urine was just baked in to my wife's office no matter how clean how, how thoroughly she cleaned the rug no matter what she sprayed in there no matter what scented candle she used no matter what air filter she used it still perpetually smelled of cat urine. And in fact, I stopped going in there. It was so disgusting. So what my wife asked me, and I didn't have a good, she couldn't figure out why Bethsheba was losing weight and why Prissy was urinating outside the litter box. And what she asked me yesterday, and I thought it was an interesting theory, clearly Bethsheba is under stress for some reason. Maybe it's due to the baby or something else. And clearly, Prissy is under stress or is sick somehow because she's urinating elsewhere. Could their two issues be related? Could Prissy be urinating outside of the litter box because she's got some sort of sympathy stress with Bethsheba? So the stress that Bethsheba's experiencing is driving up her high blood pressure, and Prissy is sort of sensing. This stress from Bathsheba. I'm going to pose that to Nancy Slewa on um, the hour that she does with Curtis focused on animals uh, Monday morning at midnight. It's an interesting hour that they do together. I'm going to ask this of them. But if you have a thought, you can email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Until next hour when we do denunciations, help control the pet w. population, get your dog or cat spayed or neutered.
1: This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
2: Good morning, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. And uh, thank you for listening to me. We're going to do denunciations in just a moment. 800-848-WABC if you want to call in on any subject that we are covering. Um, this weekend is one of my least favorite times of the year. Uh, that is when we set the clocks ahead. It's just awful. It's just awful. I'm getting no sleep as it is. And to lose an hour and it's not even that I'm losing an hour of sleep. Well, it is, but it's that I'm losing an hour of sleep, and I'm losing an hour to get things done, and it is just a real bummer. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna get into that in a big way at three thirty. But first, as we do every every uh, Friday morning at this time, it is time for.
1: The Other Side of Midnight presents denunciation. Uh, this is
2: where I denounce the people, places, or entities that have done something worthy of denunciation. I have to begin with the driver of a truck for White Plains Linen last Friday. Now, I don't know anything about White Plains Linen. Could be the greatest company in the world or the worst. I, I've I know nothing about it. And I, I don't I'm not making any judgments about this company itself. However, I, you know, I wanted to leave last Friday, right? And get home and start the weekend. And go to sleep and spend time with my wife and son and and get things done. And finally. Because we have meetings on Friday. Finally, it was time for me to leave. I'm parked on the street, right on 3rd Avenue. And lo and behold, I am blocked in by a truck. He's double parked and blocked me in. So, and I had to wait, no exaggeration, a half hour before somebody would come back and move this truck. And it was the most frustrating thing in the world. It was selfish. And look, I know these truck drivers have a tough job and they have no, they know they have nowhere to park. But do you really have to block me in in the morning? Like, you see the spots are illegal at 7 a.m. You know people are going to be leaving their cars and moving at 7 a.m., right? So why would you, why would you block people in right around the time they have to move their cars? Uh, so I was so angry with that guy. So, If you are a customer of White Plains Linen, let them know that whoever was driving their truck Friday morning, I don't know if they have multiple trucks or just one, whoever was driving their truck on Friday morning has been officially denounced. I must denounce, and I I find this just so uh, objectionable, I, I, I have to denounce the vandals who are responsible for stealing... An Anne Frank statue in Buenos Aires. Vandals stole that city's memorial to Anne Frank in what Jewish leaders there are calling a crime motivated probably not by the value of the medals in the statue. uh, Excuse me, probably by the value of the medals in the statue, not anti-Semitism. But who knows? So the Netherlands Embassy in Buenos Aires tweeted an image of the statue spot on Friday alongside a message condemning the robbery. Police haven't released any details. I hope they catch these people. I don't know whether this was anti-Semitism or just plain old regular theft. Either way, it is reprehensible. And I do denounce you. I must also denounce, and I hate to do it, I'm a big supporter of the cops, but uh, I have to denounce an NYPD sergeant by the name of David Greco. Now, an NYPD sergeant, this particular sergeant, David Greco, has topped an un, has topped an unenviable milestone. Lawsuits against this one cop have now topped, and the settlements from these lawsuits for misconduct and other things have now topped over 1 million dollars the taxpayers of the city of new york have now paid out over a million dollars because of this one cop david greco he his detractors have nicknamed him bullethead he has been sued 46 times they believe that he's probably the most sued cop in New York City. So far, 24 lawsuits have been settled, and the city has paid out over a million dollars in taxpayer money to those who have accused him of unconstitutional street stops, illegal arrests, and raids without warrants. I'm not prejudging anything here. But call me nuts, but if you're getting sued 46 times and the city is paying out over a million dollars, I think there's a pretty good chance you're doing something wrong. You're costing me money, Officer Greco. So I do denounce you. I want to also denounce, uh, speaking of vandalism, of memorials. The memorial for this slain resident in Chinatown, Christina Yuna Lee, has been vandalized for the second time... Since her brutal murder last month, an angry passerby violently kicked at this memorial, sending pieces of it flying into the street. What kind of a miserable human being do you have to be in order to vandalize a memorial for a murdered woman? Um, Whoever is responsible, I hope they catch this person, and I do denounce you. I don't know if you followed this uh, situation in Mexico, but in Mexico, they had this soccer match that devolved into a massive televised riot where 22 people were injured. So you had this Univision broadcast game between two Mexican soccer teams And it became something much more serious. The match was suspended in the 62nd minute as fights began to break out among the 30,000 plus attendees. 30,000 people all fighting. Now, I know the league has reprimanded the team here uh, and the arena for inadequate safety provisions and not doing an adequate job stopping these rioters. But my denunciation is going To the rioters. Look, I like sports. Sometimes I can even get really into a sporting event. But if your team loses, who cares? Move on with your life. It would never occur to me to start fighting physically with somebody or start rioting because of the result of a sporting event. Sheesh. So Mexican soccer rioters, I do denounce you. And I must once again denounce Twitter. They have again made it worse, I think. Everything Twitter does to make an improvement, I think it makes it worse. They're now making it harder to choose the old reverse chronological feed. You won't be able to just default to the chronological timeline. They're, They're rolling out a change That makes it much more difficult to see your chronological feed. This design change, which lets you swipe between your home, which is served by the algorithm where Twitter decides what tweets that you could see. It's not that forget about the fact that you just want to see the people that you follow in the order that you're tweeting things. No, Twitter wants to decide whose tweets you want to see. And this algorithm never works in favor of of showcasing unorthodox opinions or opinions that question the establishment or uh, opinions that question orthodox views on something. Um, So the design change, which lets you choose between home, which is served by the algorithm, and latest, which is supposedly reverse chronological timelines. But to set it up, you tap the sparkle icon on the top right corner, and you'll see the option to pin your latest timeline if you select that you'll see both home and latest tweets tabs at the top of the app so if you use pinned lists on the app the layout might look familiar the features available first on um, you know iOS and it's coming soon to Android and the web but it really makes it very diff- disappointing because you find after after you do this You can't make the chronological feed the default. You can't all the time have your tweets come up chronologically. Every time you want to see chronological tweets, you have to go in and manually change it every time. You can't just make it a setting, oh, just show me the tweets in the order they come. I mean, they've made it that you have to jump through hoops just to see the tweets come in chronological order. And I think that's a real shame. Uh, And I do denounce you, Twitter. And you're doing a lot of other things that I'm not happy with. I also have to denounce the 65 Project. Some of you may have heard Alan Dershowitz talking about this with John Katsimatidis this week. But there's this group called the 65 Project where they're targeting the livelihood of Donald Trump's lawyers. So this dark money group with deep ties to heavyweights within the Democratic Party is spending millions, millions trying to expose and disbar more than 100 lawyers who worked on Donald Trump's post-election lawsuits. This is crazy. So they're, they're filing complaints and are going to air ads in battleground states in the hopes of deterring right-wing legal talent from signing on to any future GOP efforts to overturn elections. The, the group takes its name from the number of lawsuits that sought to invalidate the 2020 election. Now, the, this is simply intimidation. This is a blatant intimidation tactic. If the If these lawsuits that these... Trump lawyers all filed had no merit then they would be thrown out of court which they were. This is why we have courts but for you to take a lawyer and try to threaten their livelihood because they're exercising their constitutional rights and their their opinions it's really reprehensible no lawyer should be forced to shy away from a cause or a client simply because they're worried about being canceled. I hate this. It's also pushing, they're also pushing the Bar Association and every state bar to change their rules to go after these people. This is just crazy. And you know me, I'm not one of these election fraud conspiracy theorists. And I, I, I hate this. It's just terrible. Uh, I also have to denounce the Central Park arsonist. Up to 10 fires broke out in Central Park this week. And it looks like they were intentionally set. We don't know by whom. But up to 10 small fires broke out in Central Park Tuesday afternoon. And this is, by all Measure. This looks to be an act of arson, according to the law enforcement sources that have been investigating this. So, hopefully, they can catch these people. Uh, I, speaking of catching people, I want to denounce Sherry Papini. Sherry Papini made a big deal about being kidnapped. And she even described her kidnappers as being Latino. She said she was abducted in Northern California. They were looking for two Hispanic women who spoke Spanish, played mariachi music, and fed her mostly tortillas and rice. Well, we now know everything about her story was false. She made the whole thing up. And uh, she even branded herself As part of the efforts to fake her own kidnapping. Now, my issue with this is not only that she wasted law enforcement resources, which could have been used to help people that were really the victims of a crime, but I mean, by playing into people's racial stereotypes here, she could have forced, she could have caused two innocent Hispanic women to be arrested. So I, I, found, I find everything about this reprehensible. Look, I, I recognize that this is something people do. Um, I, I've had friends that have faked their own kidnapping. Curtis Lewa, for instance, faked his own kidnapping. My friend Bobby Kumar faked his own kidnapping. I get that people do this. It's not the worst crime in the world, but it's bad. It's bad, and it's certainly worthy of a denunciation. So Sherry Papini, I do denounce you. And I want to denounce the New York Times. Now, I, I recognize that every media outlet makes errors. But the New York Times sent out a breaking news alert saying that there had been that the 2020 census had been responsible for an undercount. This was the breaking news alert. The 2020 census undercounted the U.S. population by 18.8 million and underrepresented black, Latino and indigenous peoples. So now when you hear that, what do you think? Well, there's 20 million more people in existence than were counted in the census. Well, that's not what happened. A couple of hours later, the New York Times was forced to put out a correction after, because they're the vaulted New York Times that uh, a lot of other media outlets take their lead from. They had to put out a correction saying that, no, there was no undercount. There was a miscount. Some people had been misidentified from various racial groups. Now that's a big difference between saying someone's not counted and then saying that someone is identified inappropriately. What looks to me here is what happened. Now call me crazy, but if you're the New York Times, they and they to their, they did send out a correction. In um, this the correction says an earlier alert misstated errors reported in the 2020 census. Nearly 19 million residents were miscounted in some way, not undercounted. Big difference between undercounted and miscounted. But if you're the New York Times and you're such a global leader in news, and you know a lot of media outlets take their lead from you, before you send out a breaking news alert and have it go in everyone's email box, don't you think you double-check it to make sure it's accurate? But... What I think happened here is there was this agenda to show that uh, the Trump administration was using the 2020 census as a political tool and they didn't want to count immigrants and they didn't want to count minorities and they had the story already written and they just couldn't wait before checking any of the facts to send out a news alert saying that that's exactly what happened when it's not what happened. And then finally, I want to denounce this um, vendor for the New York City Board of Elections that was responsible for sending out forty-four thousand faulty, inactive voter registration notices. So the this vendor, this vendor error, led to forty-four thousand residents in all five boroughs receiving a notice warning that their voter registration status was in jeopardy if they didn't verify their home address. Now, if everybody that got this notice did the right thing and just sent back to the BOE, oh, you know, this is Frank Moreno, I really do live here, and they sent it back, then all would be okay. But um, this, they, they ended up scaring a lot of people. But um, the sl- the vendor here is called N Tier Technology LLC. It's a New Hampshire-based corporation that's been working with the Board of Elections for more than a decade to support the city's voter registration system, and their current contract totals nearly four million dollars. Now, I'm told from people that that work at the Board of Elections that the vendor feels bad about this, but this is a pretty big error to make. Um, and look. Every workplace makes mistakes, including ours. Um, But if you're the vendor here, why wouldn't you put out a statement to the public and apologize? I apologize for this. I'm going to give the city taxpayers a break on our next contract. They should do something to make it right. Until then, they get denounced. And if you got one of those notices, be sure to send it back just to be safe. And tell them that you are who you say you are and you live where you say you live. All right. uh, That's it for denunciations. Uh, Coming up in just a minute, we are going to be chatting with a gentleman who is the vice president of a group called Save Standard Time named Keith Eichner. It's very interesting. I have been railing for 12 years, maybe more about the idiocy of daylight saving time. And this is one area where Russia is light years ahead of us. They did away with daylight saving time. We still have kept this barbaric practice. We're going to get into why it's barbaric in just a few minutes. But I really don't care whether we have permanent daylight saving time or permanent standard time. makes no difference to me. I just want to lock the clock. I want one Time all year round. I want to be, do away with this gaining an hour, losing an hour. It would seem like the the best way, um, well, I'll get into what, what, what I think kind of makes sense in just a minute. But this whole movement to make daylight saving time permanent has seen tremendous resistance. You know from whom? Not from the people that want the status quo. But for the people that want to make standard time permanent, there's this whole feud. And I I like to think I'm pretty attuned to this stuff, the clock changing movement. There's this whole feud in the lock the clock movement between the standard time people and the daylight saving time people. And it gets very, very heated, believe it or not. So we're going to talk with Keith Eichner in just a minute about why we need to stop this spring-ahead, fall-back nonsense and why uh, we should have permanent Standard Time as opposed to permanent Daylight Saving Time. Keith Eichner from Save Standard Time is going to join us momentarily. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Still to come, we've got Debbie Schlossel. She's got some movie reviews and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff coming your way. By the way, I uh, Sid Rosenberg had said I don't know if this is still his plan but he's without Bernie today and he had said that he wanted me to stick around for the first 2 hours of the Bernie and Sid show today so I'm not sure if that is still going to happen but for those of you that are Moranaholics uh be sure to listen to the first 2 hours of the Bernie and Sid show today and uh, we'll see where that goes now last week because our bosses have been coming in early we've been having our Friday meeting earlier and they let us leave early So I don't know if that's in the cards every week now or what the the situation is. But um, you may, I mean, you should listen to the Bernie and Sid show anyway for all four hours. But for the first two hours, you may get to hear me. But we'll see. All right. um, This is The Other Side of Midnight. We'll talk standard time versus daylight saving time straight ahead.
1: WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Marano, 77 W.A.B.C.
18: Got a boy back home in Michigan, and it tastes like Jack when I'm kissing him. So I told him that I never really liked his friends, and he's gone and he's calling me up again. It's a guy that lives in. This is Halsey, Bad at Love. Uh, You
2: are listening to The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, We're going to check in with Keith Eichner in just a minute. He is uh, somebody that thinks that we should be exploring a permanent switch to standard time as opposed to a permanent switch to daylight saving time. Meantime, let me say hello to Jay in Cincinnati. Hello, Jay.
10: Hey, how you
8: doing, Frank? Um, Some of the farmers out here in Indiana, I live in a tri-state area, they just don't change their time. They're stubborn like you, Frank. They just said the hell with you guys in the city. We're keeping our time. We milk our cows at the same time. We don't want city time. We call it slow time. And they've stayed on it.
2: Well, uh, and how's it working out for them?
8: Uh, They don't care what we do in the city because – they're not city folks. They're just country folks. And the, that time was apparently set up during the war to make people more productive at work, apparently, with the daylight savings time.
2: Okay. And, uh, well, uh, I uh, certainly hope that we can put an end to it soon. Thank you for that very enlightening uh, anecdote there, Jay. Appreciate it. Eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc if you want to uh, comment on the time issue, meantime... Very, very pleased to be joined by the vice president of Standard Time, uh, which is a nonprofit advocacy organization and a veteran meteor- meteorologist in his own right, Keith Eichner. Keith, thanks so much for getting up early with us.
12: Frank, it's a pleasure. It kind of reminds me of the old days, and I used to wake up at around this time to get up in the, when I was living in northern New Jersey and then drive into midtown Manhattan to uh, work at WABC Radio back in the late 1980s.
2: Well, that's the first thing that I was going to ask you about, Keith. I understand you actually, and uh, I have been listening to this show for a long time, but I might have missed this portion of uh, the, the station's history. Uh, I, you were actually a meteorologist right here at WABC?
12: Yeah, it actually was true. I was uh, was and the first year I worked it was mainly working out of a out of a hangar at Kennedy Airport. We had a what we called an 8K equalized line and I did those reports from there over uh, at I think Hangar 6 at Kennedy Airport for another employer. And then beginning uh, about a year into the relationship, uh, the station then offered me a position directly. And I, and I came into Manhattan many times and actually came up to, at that time, we were up 1330 Avenue, the Americas, so right. in those days. And I worked, uh, upstairs on one of the upper floors, I don't know, uh, the 18th floor, I'm not sure of the exact floor now, it's been so long. And, uh, and I, I had the distinction of sharing my desk with Rush Limbaugh, the late Rush Limbaugh. We worked together for like nine months uh, uh, at that same desk uh, during those days that I was there.
2: Now, that's back in the days. So uh, what, what years are we talking, 88, 87 to 91
12: it started in 1986. I started working in the and right downtown in 1987 and 1988 in the first three months of 1989, and then uh, my services were no longer needed, as they say.
2: Oh, uh, understood. Now that was when Cap City owned the uh, on the radio station. Capital Cities. What um, What was the morning show on the station at that time? Do you remember?
12: show was uh, there were a couple there were three home, there were three hosts when I was there the first what the first of, the first five or six months that I was there it was uh, it was Alan Combs
2: ah uh, and Alan? he would he would call himself Alan B Combs in those days
12: W A B C yeah W Alan B Combs you're correct yes. And then the second host with Gil Gross was the, was the second host of the show in the morning show. And then finally it was Dave Dawson in the, in the final uh, year or so that I was there. Dave Dawson.
2: That's pretty cool. That's, those must have been uh, some exciting times to be here. Uh, What was it like having Rush as a desk mate?
12: Well, he was a pretty funny guy. I mean, when I used to work with Rush, um, he'd come walking in uh, just before eight o'clock in the morning. My shift was generally over by around nine, so a little after eight or just before eight, he'd show up, and I'd say, "All right, Rush." And I would just pick up my dumb computer terminal that I had back then, and I would just move it to another desk. But I gave it—I uh, gave that desk back to Rush when he walked in because he carried in like six or seven newspapers. With a straight edge razor blade. And he'd said, All right, I need the desk now. I said, All right, rush. You know, and we would just, uh, we'd talk for a little while, and then I would leave the area, and then, and uh, we, we, uh, I just watched him do his magic. He was quite an amazing guy and had a great sense of humor. Had a lot of fun with him.
2: As did Alan, by the way. And it's, uh, it's a shame that we lost both of those fellows recently. Both incredible oh, I know. talents. It was really,
12: yeah. to learn about them both in the they- last, Six, seven years. Yes.
2: Great so, all right. So then you, um, you went on and, and did a lot of other things and continue to do a lot of other things in the meteorological field. How did you get involved in this effort uh, with Save Standard Time?
12: Well, it was kind of a fluke. It was a couple of years ago, I was um I was never a fan of of the clock shifting and I was certainly not a fan of uh, daylight saving time. So I remember one night I was working at a at another weather job, this time and still there working at Buffalo Airport on a Saturday night and uh you know, we do weather observations a couple of times an hour and uh in between I had I had the I had Twitter up and I just put up on Twitter I said Uh, Looking for uh, counting down the hours before the return of standard time and somebody out there a couple of people spotted that right away And I rarely ever tweet and uh, one of these people was the fellow who is in charge of say standard time uh, JP out of San Francisco area and uh, He contacted me and uh, we we were just you know sharing the same uh, thoughts and he said to me I'm thinking of forming this organization Uh, Would you like to join me and help me out with this and I said why sure so within a matter of months of that tweet, which I think occurred in the, in the in 2020, um, he made me a maybe a vice president of of the company of the nonprofit that we have. So uh, me and Diane Shackelford and a few other people got involved with this, and uh, he's been amazing in terms of uh, of what he's put out on on his uh, website, savesandertime dot com. So that's how I got involved with it initially in terms of what I'm doing in the last few years. But I had never liked it, even going back to when I was in my 20s.
2: So explain to folks why this is such a big deal. Why? So we're setting the clocks ahead this weekend and everyone's going to lose an hour of sleep. Okay, maybe we're a little tired for a day. What's the big deal? Why should people care about this?
12: Well, I think people have become more and more aware of of how disruptive the the clock changes are, Um, and especially since the the latest law was was, uh, imposed on us in 2007. Prior to 2007, we heard some grumbling about it. Uh, But after the beginning in 2007 and later, the uh, Congress and then-President George Bush signed legislation to expand daylight saving time an additional month. And I think it was within a matter of five or six years, people really began to complain about it more and more, especially that it would would end so early. I mean, the, the standard time would end in the middle of March, and it would not return until a week after Halloween. And it had been, prior to that, it had been typically the first week of April, first weekend of April until uh, the last weekend of October. And that suddenly went away, and now it's been extended now to eight months. So people began to say, you know, I don't like driving in the dark like this in the morning hours, especially uh, as we get into the uh, period of DST. You'll notice that on Monday morning when we all go back to work. And the other side of it is that it ends so late in terms of daylight saving time in early November, and people have been thrust into this, into this incredible, you know, darkness that does seem to appear a bit early as we start getting into the uh, into the later part of the year. So my interest in that was, that this is crazy. Why are we doing this to ourselves? And since then, we've had a lot of people pro and against daylight saving time. And the ones that are for the daylight saving time, of course, are those that are involved in, the, for example, retail shopping. That is one big, big draw. If we have daylight out later into the day, people can go shopping, but they can also go golfing. They can do barbecuing. And I don't have an issue with that during the deep summer months. But as we start getting back towards, uh, let's say, the beginning of October or uh, if we bring it back too soon, like we bring it back in the middle of March, sometimes it's not always a useful thing to have because we still have this unusual darkness that's going to return abruptly in the morning uh sunday morning and monday morning and beyond that it's going to take some time for the human body to adjust it might take up to a week in some studies that indicate this that it takes almost a week to to adjust to this
2: all right well i want to come back to the issue that you raise about um uh the people that are benefiting from this prolonged daylight saving time but uh, aside from us maybe not feeling great for a few days What what does that mean for public health, public safety, for the broader economy as a whole, for school, for work, for energy, for the environment? Give us a few reasons why the current scenario, the current status quo is bad for America.
12: Okay, well, the the current scenario for uh, for all of America and even for our Canadian friends as well, because they followed suit as soon as we made the change, they went along with it. Um, there are a lot of reasons. I think we can certainly get into the into the sleep aspects. So it's basically the circadian rhythm that we have. I mean, we our bodies tend to adjust to we, we our bodies react to daylight. So in the morning, when you have to get up to an alarm clock or just wake up naturally, it's it's certainly a lot easier if you already have daylight in progress and that's in the morning hours especially uh, especially during the year when we have we have school and work i mean in the summertime there's an abundance of sunlight we have very long days in the northern hemisphere during the summer so daylight saving time in the summer isn't quite as 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 hard to take because you already have the sun up when you arise from bed, but as we start getting into let's say beyond September 30th or uh, or let's say any earlier than April 1st or so, and I'm just giving approximate dates here, uh, it becomes a lot harder if we're still running on DST during let's say October and beyond, or as, as we if, if we if we extend it uh, in the spring, and in this case. It's bad for the country because it is, as I said, disruptive, which again throws off the sleeping cycles, and for some people, it's a very hard adjustment to make. And there has been there have been studies done. There's probably too many studies out there, and certainly there's been a number of books on it. But I can tell you that uh, the only real benefit I, I see, and what we see, to daylight saving time is that people we'll get a chance to do a little more afternoon activities after work. And that's, that's not a problem for me, but when they say in the winter, if we extend daylight saving time through the deep winter months, including November, December, January, February, and most of March, uh, our bodies are going to be out of alignment with the sun because now we're, because now we are delaying the sunrise by an hour. And we're also, yes, we are delaying the sunset by an hour, but as but, but the benefit in the winter is just not as great as it's been advertised. Um, so right now, for example, 16 states have, have, have already enacted legislation to allow for permanent daylight saving time, that's 16 states, but they're going to need approval from the federal government and that means that the federal law would have to be changed to allow for that. And uh, two states are like enacting le- legislation to study it in, for example, Maine and Massachusetts, and uh, one state is enacting legislation for either clock, uh, either standard or daylight time in the state of California. But many two states don't observe daylight saving time at all, Arizona and Hawaii, and then some of our American territories like Guam, Mariana Islands, Puerto Rico, and Virgin Islands. So I don't know if that fully answers your question, Frank, but if, if you want to follow up on a, on that, I can certainly help
3: you with that. Well,
2: you said a lot there. Let me try and uh, break down everything sure. that you said there. So it's working backwards. So. Well, right now, there's two states that don't observe daylight saving time, Arizona and Hawaii. You also have the U.S. territories that you mentioned. The other there's 16 states that want to go to permanent daylight saving time, but they're not able to do so. The federal government doesn't let them do so.
12: Yes, under the um, under the Uniform Time Act of 1966, which was signed, was signed by President Lyndon Johnson, uh, the legislation only allows states to opt out of daylight saving time. So, and and, and by 1968, both Hawaii and uh, and the state of and Arizona had opted out of daylight saving time. They were briefly on it; uh, their citizens didn't like it, so their governors immediately took action to uh, to get uh, their respective states off of daylight saving time and just stay on year round standard time. However, uh, the other states uh, did not have uh, didn't move quickly enough and uh, I think Mi- Michigan briefly went over to standard time for about a four year period, but pretty much uh, it is not allowed by federal law right now. If, you, if so that's why there has been a bill introduced in the US Senate by Senator Rubio uh, called the, late, the Daylight Protection Act and uh, this is still in the in the Senate right now. But we are also hoping to get, we're hoping to see a Sleep Protection Act as well introduced on the federal level right now. So right now it's its just in committee, there's been no major votes take on this yet on the federal level, but if it's allowed and one of these rules is allowed to continue, or let's say DST is allowed, then a bunch of these states that I just mentioned, and there's about 16 of them right now, that could say we're going to opt out of standard time and we're gonna go right over to DST year round. And now- I will tell you that this was tried in 1974 and it was a pretty big failure and it was not why, daylight
2: to... saving time year-round was tried in 74
12: yes it was and January why, 6th,
2: why was it a failure
12: why was it a failure well as soon as we made the transition over the school kids were going to dark in the morning uh, going to school in the dark in the morning hours and there were uh, there were a number of accidents where there were some fatalities that had happened down in the state of Florida so by August of 74 the Congress decided to reimpose uh, standard time beginning in late October and uh, that's what happened. And then it was then, then it was then again done in 1975 for an extended season. But uh, like it started in February 23rd of 1975, but it was allowed to die after uh, just before Halloween. It ended in 1975, and that was the end of it. Until the legislation – then there was new legislation introduced in the 1980s during the Reagan presidency.
2: Do we have any idea – you talk about – and if people are just doing we're talking with Keith Eichner. He's the vice president of Save Standard Time. You could uh, learn more about them at the website, savestandardtime.com. Do we have any idea – What when next week, the week after people go back to work or school after losing an hour of sleep, do we have any idea what the effect is to the public in terms of accidents, in terms of public health incidents like heart attacks? And do we have any idea what the effect is to the broader overall economy to loss for lost productivity?
12: Yeah, the the productivity part uh, that's going to probably require a little further study. Um, the the there will be a bit of a jet lag in those first few days of uh, following the time switch, uh, but I my suspect I would suspect that some productivity will be lost initially, and you know because people are going to wake up a little groggier when they wake up in the morning on Monday. Sunday, not as much. They'll just tend to sleep an hour late because they're not waking they're not waking up to an alarm clock. But for those that are going to be going to church, let's say on a Sunday morning, they're going to feel it. And then there are the rest of us on Monday morning when we get up in the dark for a lot of us. It's going to be going back to like January levels of daylight when we go when we make this change early next week. But uh, productivity will will likely go down just a bit a little bit. Um, school children will be going to school in the dark. There will be an increase in heart attacks. There will be probably a, uh, maybe a slight increase in motor vehicle accidents in the morning hours. Uh, those types of things have been known to happen. But again, within a matter of a week or so or just under a week, uh, these these, uh, these after effects begin to gradually abate because we adapt to it. We finally do adapt to the time change, but the time change week itself is a little bit on the harsh side. It takes, it takes me about a week to adjust to that. So that was as far as the benefits of it. Again, um, it's it's again geared for people that want to have extra daylight when they get out of work during the uh, late spring and the summer months, and uh, and the. The pundits who are in favor of it saying hey we can extend that benefit all year around but that's really questionable as we go into the winter I mean I don't know if anybody let's say if you live in Minnesota or if you live in upstate New York where I am we're not going to use much more daylight because let's say it, it's cold and uh, many times we're dealing with snow so it's not like hey we can really use that daylight because uh, you get home you're gonna probably just go right inside the house but it does have some benefit for retail like right? it does for having DST but again we need that morning daylight as well to help us wake up and be on a normal, you know, rhythm with the sun. We're aligned with the sun. We want to have our solar noon occur near noontime and not at one fifteen or one thirty in the afternoon, which is what's going to start happening in the next few days.
2: So, the um, I am totally with with you on the poor aspects of. Switching the clock ahead and back twice a year makes no sense. It screws everybody up. But the the key reason to not have permanent daylight saving time versus permanent standard time is because the benefit of a little bit more recreation opportunity in the in the evening is outdone by needing to drive to work or school in the dark in the morning.
12: I would I would agree I would agree with that statement it, it would appear it would appear the way things are looking right now that um, I mean, there's been, there's been a lot of claims made about, for example, DST all year will reduce crime. And that, for example, that one study uh, we, we claimed reduction in crime was based on a single study. For example, uh, the study reported only reduction in robbery at sunset an hour on the days near the clock change, but it doesn't consider other hours of the day. It doesn't consider days of the year. It doesn't significantly reduce other crimes. Uh, if we look at the greater date range, we see the greater trend of increasing crime into the summer is, has not changed. The, the reduction is brief. Uh, it's associated with the shock of the clock change, and that, and that doesn't last. Year-long data we, uh, has looked, said that uh, increases in violent crime went on DST, which are not seen in the same date range in Arizona and Hawaii. Uh, is DST increasing crime in the 48 states? Maybe or not. We, don't, we need more data to make that judgment as well. Uh, but PDST, or Permanent Daylight Saving Time, is also believed to chronically deprive sleep, and sleep loss increases risk-taking behavior, reduces judgment, things that lead to crime. Uh, then there's also the argument for lower traffic accidents in the afternoon commute. It will darken the morning commutes more than it brightens evening commutes, and it can chronically deprive sleep, which has had more of an, a, a driving uh, on their on their visibility, for example, in the morning hours. So drivers are more affected by sleep deprivation in the morning than evening uh, as far as that physical activity part we were talking about in the late afternoon and evening at work, but many people do exercise in the morning. They're outside jogging, for example, and they would probably be better off having that morning daylight, especially as we're going into the winter months. I might make a suggestion that maybe uh, – that I know that we don't want the clock changes. The Congress had it right probably in the earlier versions where we started it during April. And we ended it around the latter part of October. That's where it was up until the most recent change. And I suspect that the lobbyists had a lot to do with that. And we do know there were plenty of lobbying activities. The
2: lobbyists for people like uh, Charcoal who want the barbecues, the -hmm. lobbyists for the golf course, the lobbyists Mm -hmm. for people that benefit from longer days later in the day.
12: Right. Those industries certainly did benefit. The barbecuing industry benefited. The golfing industry benefited. And we're saying there's no problem with that. But, you know, if we just kept it on one clock, and I'm favoring the standard time clock – People could always go to summer hours and just get up earlier, and it could be up to those people. I mean, it would be up to the company saying, hey, we're going to summer hours beginning in the month of May. So you could, if you come in earlier, you'll leave earlier. And this time, this way, we don't have to change the clocks. It's going to be up to every individual and every individual company how they want to actually do this.
1: If, if, people,
2: if people have questions, by the way, we'll try and squeeze in a few calls here, 800 9222. Keith, what about energy use? Uh, we, we've always been told we uh, observe daylight saving time or don't observe daylight saving time because of energy use. And I think that experiment with permanent daylight saving time in the 70s was due to, um, you know, wanting to conserve energy during the gas crisis. Would permanent standard time have us use more energy, which all of a sudden people are much more cognizant of, given where gas prices are now?
12: No, not necessarily. Um, the um, the the thing is that back in the 1970s, when the experiment was done for those two years, uh, uh, the energy use uh, back in those days was slightly more efficient because in those days we used to use incandescent light bulbs for the most part. You know, this whether it was street lighting or interior lighting, we were using incandescent Thomas Edison type of light bulbs. Since then, we've gone to mainly LED lighting or fluorescent lighting. So the so the lighting uh, the lighting needs uh, have not uh, have have changed because uh, the today's bulbs just don't use as much wattage or as much voltage as as they once want they're, they're f- much more efficient today uh, here's the other here here's the other end of that argument if you have daylight saving time you're going to have a later sunset which means for some localities some people will have to wait until the sun goes down before they can finally shut off their air conditioners at night so the air conditioning loads have actually increased with DST they found that it was a little bit better if we were on standard time and certainly we can point out to it the case of arizona um The other thing, too, is that Indiana, which uh, most of that state had not observed a daylight time, began to observe it in beginning in 2007, and they did a study and found out that daylight saving time actually increased energy usage because that encouraged more people to go out. uh, And, for example, people get into their cars and go to shopping malls or drive to golf courses and so forth. So there was more energy being used in terms of gasoline and diesel when people were out later into the day. If we were able to have darkness come a little bit earlier, some people may not be as prone to go out and might just stay in. Of course, that that works oppositely for you know the economy. Some people will say, "Well, I'm, I'm being deprived. I can't sure. make a living. There. There's no. There's not as many people coming because it's now the sun's now setting at 7:30 at night or 7:55 at night, like up where I am in Western New York." But uh, I say to people, "How much daylight do you need? And if you really don't want that." Early, you know if you want to get the full use of the day, then just wake up earlier when you need to, but let 's not impose it on the rest of society so we're um, basically in the body if
2: you had a choice between keeping the status quo uh, where we you know we, we know what the time does and when it does it, moving to permanent daylight saving time, um what would you choose? Obviously, your preference is permanent standard time, but if you had a choice of permanent daylight saving time or uh, keeping the status quo, what would you pick?
12: If I had to go between, if I didn't have the third choice and go with year-round standard time, I would likely go over to uh, to the status quo. But with the twist, I would say to Congress and to the Senate to change the bill back to the way it used to be. We would change the clocks the first weekend of April and then change the clocks back during the final weekend of October. And that would include, unfortunately, we mean that Halloween would go back on to standard time, but most kids would delay their trick-or-treating anyway until until we get dark, because a lot of them don't want to be out until it does get out. But I would say I would keep it the status quo and change the clocks, but modify the dates. But if I had, my real choice would be to keep it year-round standard time. That would be my choice. Sure,
2: I understand that. I mean, if the vice president of save standard time doesn't want permanent standard time, then, then nobody does. Last question, Keith. Um, what about crime? Obviously, crime is a big concern for people. If it gets dark earlier, does that provide more opportunity for for criminals to, you know, assault or rob people?
12: Well, that's that's been that's been suggested by by some people that have been talking about that when they're doing testimony. But we say this, if, if crime increases between, let's say, 5 p.m. and midnight on, uh, on Standard Time. Well, wait a minute. Uh, if for people that are committing these crimes of opportunity in the, in, the, in the dark hours, who says they wouldn't wait until the sun sets anyway? So the sun sets later. All right, now the crimes have been shifted to between 6 p.m. and 1 a.m. Got it.
2: Got it. Understood. That's the
12: thing there. Keith,
2: I uh, appreciate the time this morning. It's great to reminisce with you about WABC and get such an informed perspective on Standard Time.
12: You are very welcome, my friend. It's great to talk to you.
2: Well, we'll talk again soon. The next weather disaster, maybe we'll uh, we'll check in with you.
12: I would love to do that. You, you'd be well. I do appreciate that very Thank much. Thank you. It's if great to talk to you, my friend. If
2: people want to check in and uh, learn more about what they're doing, then go to the website SaveStandardTime.com. You want to call and do uh, comment on this, you can do so. 800-848-9222. It's 1-800-848-WABC. This is the other side of midnight, straight ahead.
9: WABC.
6: This is Curtis Lever. For more than 30 years, when cancer is the issue, my number one source for straight cancer information, guidance, and treatment is Dr. Liederman. Dr. Liederman is cutting edge, and the first in America with non-invasive, no-cutting, no-bleeding, highly successful body radio surgery for new and reoccurring cancers, even if prior chemo, surgery, or radiation didn't work, isn't tolerated or wanted. For prostate cancers... He's the one, and I know best from my personal experience, avoiding radical robotic surgery and all of its many complications. He's a prostate cancer body expert, breast, lung, pancreas, liver, kidney, and more. Conveniently located at 38th and Broadway, accepts most insurances, Medicare, Medicaid. Dr. Lederman's exemplary prostate cancer treatment with better results, sexual and urinary life, and avoiding deforming surgery, are best for you. Call Doctor Liederman. Two one two choices. That's two one
1: two choices. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. seventy seven WABC. Hi, kids. Hi,
17: Tom. Let's sing a little bit. On top of spaghetti. On top of spaghetti. All covered
12: with cheese.
14: All covered with cheese.
12: I lost my poor meatball. I lost somebody sneezed, when
14: somebody sneezed,
12: it rolled off the table,
14: it rolled off the table,
12: and onto the floor,
14: and onto the floor,
12: and then my poor meatball,
14: and then my poor meatball, rolled
12: out of the
2: door. Ah, yes, on top of spaghetti, Song by Do Ray Me, children's chorus, and Tom and Glazer, a bush, always a... Classic, 800-848-WABC, if you want to comment on the ch- time change that we're going to experience this weekend. Jerry is on Long Island. Hello, Jerry.
8: I'm Frank, uh, first of all, uh, daylight savings time used to be uh, the last the last weekend of April to the last weekend of October. It's so exactly six months, you know, mm-hmm. uh, change your, uh, uh, your smoke detectors and stuff. Sure. Now, the reason that I did agree with him on... Uh, he was right about when they went to full-time daylight savings time. I'm opposed to full-time daylight savings time because uh, people should realize that as you move west in the time zone, the sunrise and the sunset gets later and later and later, and then eventually it becomes ridiculous, and that's why you have the the shift in, in, in hours. That's when you go from eastern time zone to central time zone. And, yeah, the kids were getting hit by cars mostly in the western part of the time zone. He had mentioned Buffalo. I do a lot of work up in Buffalo, and I worked for the state. Sun would go down there at 9 o'clock at the same time. Here it goes down at 8.30 in the summertime. But most people like the longer days, and it's not only retail sales, and, and people like the days because what happens when, when we get days short in the wintertime, people don't like it. There's all so so of your view, health. Jerry, your view, Jerry, is
2: to keep the status quo.
8: Well, no, I actually add one more week to it in November so we can get election day, get that extra hour of daylight in election day, take care of that. And um, beginning of March is fine. I, I don't have a problem with that. I just think that, I mean, things like crime, for example, more crime happens in the summer than happens in the winter. That extra hour of daylight does help prevent some crime there. And then people jogging Well, but, wait, jog but then, on wait, the wait But then you just
2: said the exact opposite, right? You said if more crime happens during the summer, then why would that extra hour of daylight lead to, you know, less crime? I, I mean, it sounds like you just contradicted yourself. No, 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 no. In other words, more crime happens in the summer rather than in the winter. So in other words, if
8: you're extending the day, oh, got, got, got it, got it during the summertime, that would help with the
2: crime. Oh, see, I so your contention, house, I mean, your yeah, contention is Go ahead. Go ahead. Your, Yeah, I'm trying. The, so your yeah. contention is that the criminals will use the extra daylight to commit crimes, not the extra darkness. No, no. I'm just saying that he was trying to say that. The criminals just will move in an hour earlier or an hour later. Put put him aside. Put him aside. So right now, uh, the theory is that the the earlier it gets dark, the more crimes will be committed earlier. I mean, I I think the whole crime issue is really, I I think
8: it's a pretty pretty small problem. I think what we really need to understand, we waste a lot of daylight in the morning. I, I mean, if you're talking about the actual sunrise, it's light a good hour to an hour and a half. I mean, it gets light in July, from June, June and July, the two longest months. It's light at 4th, 15 in the afternoon. I mean, in the morning, you see the whole sky right. lit up. That's and true. You can actually that's, see. that's true, so, Jerry. Most
2: people most I,
7: people are sleeping. I got to run. I have
2: to run. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate it. Um, those of you that are holding, we'll get to you. And uh, we'll talk baseball. Speaking of summer, speaking of daylight, things that you can do when the sun is up is play ball. We'll talk about a groundbreaking agreement yesterday that uh is a big win for baseball fans until next hour in the words of the great bob grant help control no excuse me make sure your influence counts and use it
1: this is the other side of midnight with frank morano they're running a strange program y'all talk radio 77 wabc now here's frank morano
2: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Some good news for baseball fans, and uh, I am a big baseball fan, and I am certainly all about the uh, good news that we heard yesterday. But we are keeping an eye on the biggest story in the world right now, which is this Russian war in Ukraine.
1: Breaking news, WABC. Now, the latest on Russia's invasion of Ukraine.
2: So here is the latest. This is breaking news. Vladimir Putin, the president of Russia, has now approved bringing volunteer. This is those of you watching on YouTube or on WABCradio.tv can see the air quotes. Volunteer fighters from the Middle East and elsewhere to join Russia's war in Ukraine. Moscow said that the fighters would include those who fought the Islamic State a clear reference to the war in Syria. So don't be surprised now if all of a sudden you see Syrian soldiers fighting with Russia in Ukraine. That is news that is breaking uh, just within the last few minutes now. So we're keeping uh, we're keeping you up to date on that. Now, um, the news that is very positive for baseball fans is that it looks like We are going to have a baseball season this year. That's right. We are going to have a 162-game season. The Major League Baseball lockout is over as the owners and the Players Association have reached a brand-new collective bargaining agreement. Here was uh, Baseball's Commissioner Rob Manfred.
19: I have to say I am genuinely thrilled to be able to say that major league Baseball's back and we're going to play 162 games um, i do want to start by apologizing to our fans i know that the last few months have been difficult there was a lot of uncertainty um at a point in time when there's a lot of uncertainty in the world um, sort of the way the process of collective bargaining works sometimes, but I I, I do apologize for it. Um, One of the good things about collective bargaining is that it gives our players an opportunity uh, to have input on what their workplace and the game is going to look like going forward. And they took full opportunity um, to provide that input during these negotiations. Um, our players are great, great athletes. Um, I respect them, and I respect the input that we received from them during this process, and we really did learn a lot.
2: So, I'm happy that he apologized. I'm happy that we're going to get 162-game season in. I'm happy that spring training is starting soon, but... The question that a lot of people on social media and even via email have been asking is, well, look, they're just going to do this again. How, how often and how frequently can Major League Baseball disrespect its fans? If it's not this, it's pulling the All-Star Game out of Georgia because of some voter reform law. If it's not the All-Star Game, it's steroid abuse. If it's not steroid abuse, it's the 1994 baseball strike. Again and again, baseball fans have been disrespected. If it's not the steroid abuse or the baseball strike, it's the contracting of minor league ball and the and the and the just assault on minor league baseball from major league baseball. Um, Bet more on that in a second. Here's a little bit more of Rob Manford, New York, the uh, Major League Baseball Commissioner.
19: Looking forward, I could not be more excited about the future of our game. Uh, I I think we have an opportunity in front of us. I think it's an opportunity that we need to work with the players to fully seize. Um, But I think that some of the things in the agreement are really, really important in that regard. Um, I think the expanded playoff format will bring postseason baseball and maybe even more importantly exciting September baseball to more markets. I think the balanced schedule will be a real improvement for our fans. It will give our fans a greater opportunity to see all of the great players in the game on a more regular basis. And maybe most important is the agreement that we reached with the MLBPA on rule changes. Um, I love our game. Having said that, um, since I've been commissioner, I've talked about the need Uh, to make changes in some of our rules to enhance the entertainment value of our product for the benefit of our fans. Uh, And I think the new agreement opens an opportunity that we can work with the players to make sure that we make good rule changes that works for our fans, works for our players.
2: So the new season is going to begin April 7th, I believe. So as part of this agreement... A joint competition committee is formed comprised of four active players, six members appointed by Major League Baseball, and one empire. And beginning in 2023, the committee will be tasked with adopting changes to playing rules such as a pitch clock, base size, defensive positioning, and automatic ball and strike zone. We have covered that. I don't like that at all. Under the previous agreement... Major League Baseball had the right to unilaterally implement rule changes with one-year notice, but this new system will allow the game to improve in a more timely fashion thanks to this collaboration, which I suppose is a good thing between the league and the players. At least the players have some say in that. But my attitude is less about the details of this, although I'll be honest, I'm pretty excited about an expanded playoff Format and more playoff baseball, more teams in the hunt for the pennant, um, more teams having a chance at making the playoffs. I think that's all healthy, and I think it's it's good for the game. It gets more people watching the game later in the season. Although now with with gambling and fantasy baseball, you have a lot of these folks watching the game even after their teams are eliminated. Putting that aside, the person that made the most sense to me yesterday was not Rob Manford or anybody from the players' side of the ledger. It was Senator Dick Durbin who tweeted something before this agreement was announced. I guess it was technically not yesterday, but the day before in the evening. Senator Dick Durbin, Democrat from Illinois, tweeted the following. And I couldn't retweet this fast enough. Enough. After almost 100 days of the Major League Baseball lockout, it's time to consider Major League Baseball's special antitrust exemption, which allows the lawful monopoly. Fans across America deserve better. Message to the owners, unlock the lockout and play ball. I I was very pleased to see somebody in elective office saying that. I wish it was the president, but it was Dick Durbin. Fine. Now, that leads to the question. Why does baseball have an antitrust exemption? Think about it. No other sport, no other professional sports league enjoys an antitrust exemption. The um, football, you know, the NFL, the NHL, the NBA... They don't have an antitrust exemption, but baseball is able to operate in this country as a legal monopoly. And this year, two months and 28 days from now, on May 29th, the anti trust exemption will mark its 100th anniversary. See, baseball doesn't like to talk about this, they don't like people to know that they are legally permitted to operate as a monopoly. And you have seen threats across the political spectrum, not just Dick Durbin on the on the left, but people like Bernie Sanders have taken Major League Baseball to task for poorly paying minor leaguers or for trimming the minor league baseball teams, which I think he's absolutely right about. Right-wing senators like Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, Mike Lee, they've taken issue with different things that baseball have done. So you ask yourself the question – why does baseball have a minor league, have a, an antitrust exemption? Now, the trust exemption resulted from a 1922 Supreme Court ruling that stated absolutely abs- absurdly, if you look at it 100 years later, that the business of Major League Baseball did not constitute interstate commerce. Making it exempt from the Sherman Antitrust Act, which prevents businesses from conspiring with one another in an effort to thwart competition, I want you to think of, I want you to hear that again. The Supreme Court ruled that baseball is exempt from the anti from the Sherman Antitrust Act because baseball doesn't constitute interstate commerce now that is absolutely. Absurd. Uh, Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, writing for the majority, said that um, personal effort not related to production is not a subject of commerce. Meanwhile, so the court determined baseball was just a game. Not a business. Certainly not one that deals with interstate commerce. Now, if Justice Holmes could see the eleven billion dollars that the baseball industry has ballooned into today, I wonder if he'd say the same thing. So since this court decision a hundred years ago, a few things have happened. One is the Supreme Court has dramatically expanded what it uses the Commerce Clause for. They use it for everything now but and there have been numerous court challenges to the antitrust exemption. And the courts have said, whenever it's come before them, the same thing. Well, Congress knows this is how we feel about this. And if Congress wanted to change this, if they wanted to end baseball's antitrust exemption, they could, but they haven't. So baseball, Major League Baseball gets to continue to operate as a monopoly and do all sorts of things that monopolies can do that no one no one other no other business can, and we the fans are supposed to sit back and take this again and again well, I'll be honest with you I'm sick of it, I am sick of it, and I think. The time has come, and I'm happy about this agreement, and I hope it leads to more young people, especially more people in general, following baseball and being a fan of baseball, wanting to play baseball, wanting to go into baseball. Uh, but I think it's time to end baseball's antitrust exemption. I, I mean that. Now, this anti-Trump trust exemption is still very, very controversial. Without the antitrust exemption, baseball probably wouldn't be allowed to continue its efforts to contract minor league teams. Look, if you look at what they've done to minor league baseball, it's awful. It also would prevent major league baseball teams from collectively assigning their trademark rights to a central league office for the purposes of granting exclusive league-wide licenses for apparel manufacturing. Oh, please, cry me a river. Somehow the NFL, the NBA, and other leagues, they're able to figure out how to sell merchandise. So Congress has looked at this issue before. And in 1958, that uh, great philosopher Casey Stengel, who was managing the Yankees at the time, a great Yankees team. Uh, he had people like Mickey Mantle on that team, Yogi Berra, Whitey Ford, uh, A really the 1950s murderer's row. Casey Stengel testified before Congress on the issue of baseball's antitrust exemption. And he really said something, if you listen carefully to what he says here, he really said something that I think it's absolutely impossible to argue with. Listen to this.
13: There is now, uh, through the farm system, a major league control
9: of the professional occupation of baseball playing. Is that a correct summary? Well, you have uh, that... uh,
7: This is Casey.
9: From the standpoint of what you've been reading, you've got that down very good. (laughs) I said, just like I uh, made a talk not long ago, and I told them all when they was drinking, and they invited me in, I said, you ought to be home. You men are not making enough money you can't drink like that they said this is a holiday for the shell oil company (laughs) and i said why is it a holiday they said we did something great for three years and we are given two days off for the to watch the yankees play the white sox but they were mostly white Sox shooters i said well you're not doing right i said you can't take those drinks and all even on your holidays you ought to be home and raising more children because the big league clubs now give you a hundred thousand for a bonus to go into baseball. And by the way, I don't have to have any children, and I wish Mr. Stengel and I had eight. I'd like to put them in on that bonus ruler.
2: <laughs> now, the reason you can't argue with what Casey Stengel is saying there is because nobody can make heads or tails of what Casey Stengel said. Nobody understood it. And you imagine being the guy that came after Casey Stengel? Can you imagine being the next speaker? Well, do you know who the next speaker was? Some of you that are real old school baseball fans might. But the next speaker was Mickey Mantle, number seven. Now imagine trying to follow that. So <laughs> Mickey Mantle gets up there after two minutes of Casey Stengel incoherently not answering the question, speaking like he's um, West from West Virginia describing his dream. And Mickey Mantle has to get up there right after Casey Stengel and say, and he did this with a smile, as only Mickey can. He said, everything Casey said, I agree with. (laughs) Can you imagine? So uh, in all seriousness, though, I am sick of this. And I think it is time to look at ending baseball's antitrust exemption. What do you think? 800-848-WABC. Is it time to end baseball's antitrust exemption?
1: A question. Since before your son burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited
2: a question. What Say You, 800-848-9222. We're going to do the $1,000 Minute coming up in about 10 minutes, and then we're going to be joined by Debbie Schlossel. We'll talk movie reviews, and uh, she always has a lot to say about a lot of different things. But we're in Oscar season now, and a lot of blockbusters out, including the Batman. We'll find out what she thinks is worth seeing. All right, 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Time to end baseball's antitrust exemption. What do you think Steve's in Manhattan hello Steve
20: and uh, Yogi was the interpreter all right Frank and um, uh, Manfred man blinded by the greed but first how about we scrap and dump the metric system to while we're at it and uh, you mean the English system What?
2: you mean the English system.
20: Well, the metric system we use for for weights and, and measurements.
2: Right, I'm saying you want to dump the English system and replace it with the metric system.
20: Yeah, actually, I think it was developed by the French, but whatever. Yeah, then, no, stay with our system that we have. Why do you
2: have- oh, please. well, that makes no sense. But we'll put that aside for another day.
20: All right. Anyway, uh, the antitrust thing. First of all, I have other things to say about that. I think I think it's an illusion, and the reason why I could back it up with is Major League Baseball. The players have won. Collusion lawsuits against the owners, basically back in the 80s with free agency. The owners tried to collude. They got slapped with lawsuits. The owners lost. Okay? And plus free agency. The owners don't own the players since 1976 when an arbitrator ruled in favor of the players, even though only one of the arbitrators of the three was actually a favorite of the players. So th- this is more of an illusion. People love to say that. They you know, they have interleague... Tr- trades they have big commerce all over the world i think it's just an illusion when they say that but you know what it is steve
2: you know what it is since since 1922 baseball's ownership has treated this gift from the supreme court as a license to act arrogantly and they need a brushback pitch in my view
20: yeah, but if you look at some of the other leagues, they've all had vicious strikes and lockouts, too. Yeah, well, lost, the, the NHL lost the season, right? But the thing is, I just want to make a point. Of, go ahead. Sure. For years, I've been – no, go ahead. You can follow up. No, no, no. I can, I always said that Major League Baseball should have DHs in both leagues. I don't want to hear anything about one league is more established than the other. It's nonsense. You play by the same rules. I also suggested that they expand the rosters to 26 teams. They've done that. They've put the DH now in both leagues, which I called for for years. But I also call for the American kids to be signed at 16 years old. And the other station, they always hang up on me when I say that. But the thing is, they signed foreign kids at 16 years old. A 16-year-old kid in the Yankee farm system has a much better chance of making the major leagues than a 16-year-old American kid who in high school, going to school, trying to play on the baseball team. So when you look at it, look at it the whole overall picture, antitrust is nonsense. Free agency is here. The players move wherever they want. The, play, the owners, of folks, are billionaires. If they want, they could have sat this out for 10 years, but they're not doing it because they're making
2: money. Thank you, Steve. 800-848-9222. Tom in the Bronx, time to end yes, the anti-chunk Hi, exemption.
13: I'd like to say that I'm glad that baseball came to an agreement where there'll be baseball, but I'd like to see the Ferry Hawks still play the first day of, of the year. In other words, it would be great publicity for the Ferry Hawks and the opposing team, and a lot of people would like to go to... Uh, Go to Staten Island to see the Ferry Hawks. Of the year. Think of the advertisement that would come out of it. Uh,
2: Tom, I'm with you. I think it's a great idea. 800-848-WABC. Jeff is in Jersey City. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Frank.
15: Frank, uh, listen, would you tell your, 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 your son, Carmine, uh, practice your baseball kid. You know, you know, don't worry about school too much. You could grow up and be a Major League uh, Baseball player. Or would you tell him, Study hard in school, play ball if uh, if it works out for you where um you know you're doing so great in school uh so you know, so good in, on the baseball field that you could use that as, as an exclusive income, okay, most sensible people would tell their kid, forget about baseball that's a dream, but you know what nowadays uh, th- these baseball players. They, they don't go to college. They meet an agent when they're 16 years old, and they start focusing on uh, money. They don't even love the game. They're a bunch of phonies They say how much we love the game. And it's easy, Frank, like you did. You find a villain that, who always is in all the sports, is the, the commissioner. And they're, really, they're mostly, um, uh, you, you know, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're, they're not anything. You know, they're just somebody that... Uh, the, the businesses are what brings the revenue. If, if businesses, if they close down baseball, the people that were making revenues through their own private business, they go on with their business. When they frank and continue to, to, to make the baseball players, they become, you know, dependent on the income from the, um, the, the base, the business. Right. Well, thank you, Jeff. I,
2: I don't think you spoke to the antitrust issue. Uh, I'm looking for... Your take on whether or not it's time to end baseball's antitrust exemption. I think we need to look at it. Eight hundred eight four eight wabc What do you think? 800-848-9222. Uh, comment on uh, Daylight Saving Time if you want as well. Joe is in New Jersey. Hello, Joe.
5: Hey, Frank. Uh, I work the overnight uh, 20 years. I've been doing this. Um, So like this weekend, I'm actually going to be on. So two becomes three is awesome. But when you're, when you're doing it on the other side in the fall, when you get to two and you have to relive the one to two o'clock time, that's a mental, uh, it's a mental game with your head. Oh yeah. uh, Not fun.
2: Oh yeah. No, that is for sure. Uh, I, uh, I don't envy you uh, when, when things go the other way, but I guess this week you're going to be okay.
5: Uh, well, they pay me an hour less, uh, oh, so yeah, okay. well, you know, they they take the hour away, but uh, it's worth it just to so get out. Having been on
2: both uh, ends of this, Joe, what's your preference: standard time uh, permanently, daylight saving time permanently, or the back and forth that we have? I don't
5: mind the back and forth. I see the argument; it it, it goes both ways for for certain people. But I, I it's kind of like living up in. I think you said you like the change of seasons. Like we could all move to Florida. And have you know con- continuity and always be warm, but I I kind of like the the flip and the flop, you know the change of seasons. I like the extra hour coming up in, at night soon, and in the fall, you know when it's cold, I, I don't mind the the three four o'clock darkness just because it's uh, it's fall. You know you go inside, you eat, it's cold, and you know it, I don't mind it.
2: All right, well you you don't mind the flip and the flop, very good, thank you there, Joe. I will tell you this is a uh, this is a true story. Um. I have spoken at length about how good my Aunt Camille's egg salad is, and she made me some last week. And I, um, you know, I'm trying to be super strict in terms of what I'm eating for Lent. I'm not eating any uh, mayonnaise or any fat or anything like that. And uh, egg salad, you know, as delicious as it is, You know, it's not the worst thing for you, but it's not exactly a health food. I mean, anything with that much mayonnaise, it's not great for you. So I am staying away from mayonnaise, and I'm abstaining from egg salad for the next 40 days. So last week, my Aunt Camille made the egg salad, so I brought it into work. And lo and behold, our whole staff, including Matt Blaze, tried some of this, and the whole staff has become egg salad dependent. So when I spoke with my Aunt Camille over the weekend, she said, you know, I know you're not eating it right now. Should I still make the egg salad? And I, I said, well, I think you should. Two reasons. You know, one, maybe we can videotape you doing it because, and I hope it's not for a very long time, but when you're no longer here, I I don't know what you do to this egg salad, but this recipe for egg salad cannot die with you because whatever you're doing, it's, it's magical. And, and she always describes it as, Oh, she's not doing it. You, so she's starting to tell me more about what she's doing now. She told me the other day that she slices instead of mashes or something. She does something different. Okay. Um, so I said, well, maybe we could videotape you doing it. And my coworkers have now become egg salad dependent. So, I, I said, uh, how about that? She said, sure, sure. So I said, well, how about this week? Maybe you could just make it. And then next week, I'll come and videotape you. That's what I said. So I show up there on on Wednesday. Wednesday. And i expecting to just grab the egg salad, do a pop in and pop out. And my son was crying in the car. My wife was in a mood. Because she's dealing with sick cats and cats that are peeing everywhere and a crying baby and a, and a, a you know, husband that doesn't help out enough around the house and so forth. And so I run into my Aunt Camille's house. She lives around the corner from us. And I said, all right, well, do you have the egg salad? She said, I didn't make it. I thought you were going to come videotape me. And I said, oh, all right, well, uh, you know, I have to get home right now because of the baby and everything. Um, well, she, she says, do you want to do it tomorrow? I said, great, sure, let's do it tomorrow. So then tomorrow was Thursday. So yesterday, I show up my my Aunt Camille's house. And uh, all set brought Rachel to, to film. And um, I see my Aunt Camille is not camera ready. She's in her nightgown. And uh, I, I said, all right, well, maybe she wants to. I do a lot of videos in robes. Maybe she wants to be you know, film that way. And uh, I said, all right, you know, let's do this. And she said, oh, I thought we were filming it next week. I made it yesterday. So we don't have a video of this egg salad, but we do have a brand new batch of egg salad for our staff here. We're going to work on a video next week. And I'm wondering that because this is sort of show-related – is there any way that we could get our illustrious video department, which only seems to be growing, in staff? They, they grow like gremlins over there. They multiply like gremlins. Every time one of them gets wet, another one pops up. Oh, there's Gabby. I feel like two weeks ago, Gabby was the only video person we have. Oh, then uh, there's um, there's Joe. Oh, okay, there's Joe. There's uh, Rachel. Oh, oh, there's Eric. Oh, oh. There's Crystal. Oh, my goodness. There's now more people working in the video department than there are working at the radio station. So I'm wondering if we can get the video people to actually come to her house to tape this and maybe do jazz up this production a little bit, and we'll put it on WABC's YouTube page. But the we do have, fortunately, some egg, some egg salad. Now, Friday is also pizza day for us here at the radio station, where I very generously... In spite of the humility that uh, Charles and Queens ascribes to me, get pizza for everybody. And when we were talking about this yesterday, off air, Matt and Alex and uh, Molly were saying, "All right, so we're going to have egg salad and pizza the same day." And um, Alex kind of made a, a reference about or, or a joke about eating egg salad with pizza, and I said, "Well, I do that." I said, "What I do." is I'll eat the pizza and then preserve, and and Molly kind of cringed that that's such a, a terrible thing. And I said, I save the crust, the pizza crust, and then I use the crust to make an egg salad sandwich, a little mini egg salad sandwich, almost dipping the egg salad into this very smooth, very creamy egg salad and treat it like a dip. And uh, all of a sudden, when I described it that way, these cringes turned into the opposite of of cringes. So now, here we are. We have pizza. We have egg salad. Matt Blaze, I know you've been working uh, for the last five hours or so, but have you tried any of this?
0: I have not had the egg salad as of yet, but I will on my way out. Did you try the pizza? The pizza, I ate the white white pizza.
2: You tried the white. What was your review? Loved it. Rita was very Very taken with the white pizza today. We tried a new place... um, uh, today and um molly pulled what we call in the business a dominic carter where she uh left a half-eaten slice of pizza out there in the kitchen just for i don't know who I
18: no guess. it's not half eaten it is half completed <laughs> i'm working on I it frank i'm busy i'm here um I, I i definitely an optimist because we know how how i uh have not right. been able to stomach pizza lately, so.
2: All right. Well, uh, I hope. What do you have a pizza review for us today, Molly?
18: It was half amazing.
2: Half amazing. Okay. All right. We're going to do the fa- the thousand uh, dollar minute in a jiffy. We're going to talk to De- Debbie Schlussel in just a minute. Want to squeeze in a couple of quick calls here? First, we have Jeff in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff.
16: Hey Frank. Uh, is it still Ask Frank Anything Day?
2: Well, I mean that's the first hour, but we'll let you slide, Jeff. Go ahead. What's your question? Uh,
3: how about a, how about a, uh, and you're a forty, I'm a forty. How about some recipes like for this egg salad and everything? I'm well, we're gonna about. do a video.
2: We're gonna do a video. We're gonna have Ann Camille do a video and take uh, take you through her whole process, which should be a lot of uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it as well. As I was walking my son into her house and explaining to him that we were about to see this kind of a demonstration. I said, I want you to play very close attention because as soon as you're old enough, I want you to be making this yourself. Jerry is in Northvale, New Jersey. Hello, Jerry.
7: Yeah. So yeah, I have a question asked concerning the, uh, uh, the antitrust exemption for baseball. Does it, uh, does it give, uh, the baseball teams, uh, does the antitrust exemption give the, uh, baseball teams the rights for, uh, territorial rights?
2: Yes. Yes.
7: That's yes, what... why I say that, uh, because, uh, you know, since I know that uh, uh, New Jersey has always wanted to get its own major league team, I don't, I don't think it's ever going to happen now. Uh, what gives the uh, the Mets or the Yankees the right to claim part of another another state is their territory? Yeah, exactly so right. I don't think that they should have that right. I,
2: I, I am with you. And, um, you, you know, or let's say... A company wanted to do what the XFL has done and start a competing major league. Why shouldn't they want to be be able to do this? The whole reason this antitrust exemption came about, the whole reason it went to court in the first place is because there was a new league uh, that wanted to operate as a third major league, something called the Federal League. And so Major League Baseball, the American League and the National League, they were terrified about this. So what they did was they bribed, essentially, the Federal League and paid them off, but there was one team, the Baltimore Terrapins, that didn't want to be bought off, and they're the ones that took this to court, but you're right, that's why in football and in the other sports, you see teams moving so frequently, and they can't do that in baseball because of those territorial rights. All Um, do we'll do the $1,000 minute in just a second. If you want to be the a uh, contestant on today's $1,000 minute and answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, then call 800-848-9222. That's eight hundred eight four eight 848 wabc Be the seventh caller right now, and you'll have an opportunity to play. And then uh, Debbie Schlossel will give us her take on what's in theaters or what movies you could see even at home. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
14: WABC.
2: Frank Sinatra. You can hear my colleague Joe Piscopo hosting the Ramsey Mazda Sundays with Sinatra show Sunday evenings, right before um, Dina Martin. And uh, I'm going to be with Joe Saturday night at the Blue Lives Matter gala. I think it's sold out, but um, I know there's supposed to be a bad storm on Saturday, so I'm wondering if some people are going to cancel I'm certainly going to be going, uh, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be too bad. All right. uh, Time for one lucky person to have an opportunity to win some money. It's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents...
1: It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank
9: Murano. Well...
2: Uh, Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's say hello to Chris in Buffalo. Hello there, Chris. Hey, buddy. Chris, how's the weather up there in Buffalo?
4: There's actually no snow this week. They're calling for a storm tomorrow, actually, Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. So we're going to get, yeah.
2: That's what I've been hearing.
4: All right. I actually drive truck back and forth from uh, there to Syracuse, so. It's not been a bad winter, actually. Mm-hmm. I just found you, man. I really love your program. Oh, well, so I want to start calling. I want to call in some night.
2: Well, well, that's nice. So, did you just uh, discover us today or just recently? No, a week,
4: two weeks ago. All that's... right. Well... call me out. I- I've been driving truck, Detroit, Buffalo, Cleveland for years. You know, and. Uh... It's it lonely out here
2: <laughs> Wonder, i can imagine but I
4: discovered you and you are the bomb i'm telling you you're right on I'm, i just think about the same way i think i listened to the lady with the moth last night and i said you know what i should try that <laughs> well good i'm not very Excellent. educated well, but we'll give her a try chris, uh, you gotta get going let's go chris
2: you got me rooting for you all right um okay <laughs> um now if the questions sound simple they are okay don't overthink them that's the key okay Um, All right, bro. The the timer's going to start after I ask the first question. You ready to go? Yes, sir. Okay. What was Walter Cronkite's first name?
4: Walter Cronkite's first name. Walter.
2: (laughs) What country did Russia recently invade? Ukraine. How do you say hello in French? Got me on that one. Think about it. Think about it. A very common French phrase.
4: <laughs> I know Spanish. I know Yugoslavian. I know Spanish. cha uh, cha la I don't got uh, you You got me stumped on that uh, I don't know right, zero okay. French. It's, um, <laughs> it's,
2: it's bonjour. Bonjour.
4: Okay, I don't know French. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't... And my neighbors were French. Well, see, you, you, should, you should have said
2: hello to them more often. Hey, Chris, hang <laughs> on. We're going to send you a hat or something. I hope you wear it with pride.
4: Yeah, I like yes, brother. I'll, be, I'll call again. They call me Aggie Doggy, like the cartoon guy. You'll, you'll be hearing from Chris Aggie Doggy. I'll give you a call one of these nights.
2: W- wonderful. we will we'll be ready for you, what? Chris. I Chris, think I, I I gotta, know about- I'm going to talk to Debbie Schloss. I'm putting you on hold. Talk to Molly. She can be a very yeah. engaging conversationalist when she wants to be. Meantime, uh, somebody that. Uh, has um, has 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 put the engaging in engaging conversationalist is Debbie Schlossel. She is an attorney, an author, a political commentator, and a film critic. And it is the latter capacity with which we often tap into her expertise, especially on the weekend. Hello there, Debbie. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. You know, Debbie. So are, are you you Orthodox Jewish? I am modern Orthodox yes. Modern. So my sister-in-law is Orthodox Jewish, and whenever she comes over, you know, th- there's not a- always a great selection of kosher liquors for her to try. I'm curious. I don't know if you drink or you don't drink. Do you have any suggestions on a really top-notch kosher wine or liquor?
11: Um, not manish of it. Um,
2: right. Th- that's, that's <laughs> even I could figure that one out.
11: Right, right. Um, you know, I, since I'm not much of a drinker and I, hard alcohol is not for me, I can't think of really much, but I could tell you wine brands, and maybe they have uh, liquor also, but there's Bartonura, there is um, Yarden. Um, all right, well, no, I wish I could think of something that's but okay how much of a drinker.
2: I'm just you know on a constant uh, on a constant mission to try to throw things at you that you don't immediately have an answer for that's my uh that that's my modus operandi here debbie <laughs> um, all right, so debbie, uh the big movie at the box office, really the first blockbuster of twenty twenty two was the batman uh Robert Pattinson who I guess people know from the Harry Potter movies, he is taking on a role made famous by Adam West, Michael Keaton, Val Kilmer, George Clooney, Ben Affleck, Christian Bale. Uh, Give me your review of the Batman. What did you think?
11: I did not like it. Um, I will say he's not from the Harry Potter movies. He's from the Twilight movies. Oh, the Twilight. See, Um, I've never
2: seen any of these. I'm sorry.
11: (laughs) You haven't missed that much. Um, and I, I think he's actually playing the same character. I think his name was Edward in the Twilight movies that he was in the Twilight movies, which is a very substandard version of Batman. Uh, I did not like the movie. It's very dark the entire time. And we all know Gotham is really supposed to be New York City. Um, New York City's not that dark. And if it is, not all the time. There are literally two scenes of daylight in the entire movie, and one of them is a very cloudy, rainy day, and then the other one, it's inside this very dark building, and you can barely see the shards of sunlight shining in. There's that. Then the fact is that the plot is very old, tired, and weak. It's that all of these white politicians are dying, and we all find that they're corrupt, and, of course, the people that save the day, um, aside from Batman, are black politicians and so on. It's a very woke, um, sub-rosa plot. Um, I didn't find Zoe Kravitz that great as Catwoman. I think Allie Berry and Michelle Pfeiffer were much better. Um, Edward Pattinson, I would put him down at the lowest rung of Batmans with Bet- Ben Affleck. Um, He tries so hard to push his voice um, to be dark and low like Christian Bale, but he just comes out sounding silly. Um, I happen to like Christian Bale as Batman. I just didn't like this movie at all. Plus, it's
2: three long hours. I was just going to ask you about that. I I can't imagine budgeting the time for three hours unless it's a great picture, but you say it's, it's not worth the three hours.
11: No, it isn't. And you know what? There's a lot of fluff in the movie. Um, by the time we even see the most interesting, I think, person in the movie, who is Paul Dano as the Riddler, mm. it's almost the end of the movie. It's like the last half hour. Um, and then the other the other uh, um, villain is the Penguin, who is played by a barely recognizable Colin, uh, uh, Colin Farrell. And you, can, you don't know it's him, and he's just not a very impressive villain. I just feel like I've seen so much better over the years. Um, this movie could have been cut at least in half. An hour and a half movie, you could have had all the same stuff. There was just nothing here that was worth three hours. And I always feel that these directors that make you sit through three hours are narcissists <laughs> because they feel that your time is that important. But their work is so important, they can't bother to edit it for you.
2: All right. So um, it sounds like the Batman, at least on the Debbie scale, is worth skipping. A couple of months ago, we talked about The Ricardos, which uh, has a lot of Oscar buzz. It's got a bunch of nominations. You weren't crazy about that. You said that it was inaccurate and uh, you had a a number of criticisms. There's another uh, new film out about this couple, Lucy and Desi. It happens to be called Lucy and Desi this time it's a documentary. Did you see this? And what was your take on it? I did. It is directed by Amy
11: Poehler, who should probably stick to acting in comedy. Uh, This was awful. It was slow and boring and I kept falling asleep and you listen, Lucille ball, even though I didn't like her politics, I think it was very interesting and I think it's an interesting story. And she managed to make it very boring. And in addition to that, it's produced by Lucy Arnaz, the daughter of Lucy and Desi. So it's not going to be an accurate documentary. Instead, it was just a one-sided uh, documentary that contains the same inaccuracies as the feature movie, um, which uh, primary among them was the claim, presented as fact, and it never happened, that J. Edgar Hoover cleared Lucille Ball before the show one day before the live studio audience it never happened there's no evidence of it and in fact he did not clear her he investigated her for the rest of his life because he was the head of the FBI until his death in the early 70s and he never cleared her he always believed she was a communist and in fact she was and there is a lot of evidence of that and this movie pretended there was not.
2: Uh, Speaking of communism, there's a Disney film out called Turning Red. What was your take on this?
11: All right. So, yeah, you know, it was funny. I was thinking about the title even before I watched it, and I was thinking, is this going to be about communism? And, in fact, it isn't. So it's weird because it's a Disney Pixar movie, which is actually very underwhelming. It's probably among the worst. Uh, You know, it's not that bad of a movie, but it's not good. It's among the worst Disney Pixar movies I've seen. Most Disney Pixar movies are amazing, and the the animation in this movie is okay. The story is substandard, and I was surprised they called it that because it's about a Chinese Canadian girl who, um, along with her friends, wants to just be a normal kid. But and also, it's very stereotypical. She has what we know as a tiger mom. She has a mother who demands. Perfection and is very overbearing and is a helicopter parent, which is a stereotype of Asian parents, Asian um, uh, North American parents, and is very um, old school. And she, she hates that. She hates her mother, wants to get away from her. And then soon she discovers that she has this family curse where she, when she gets upset or stressed out, she turns into a giant red panda. Um, And that's where the title Turning Red comes from. And she wants to get away from that. She just wants to be a normal teenager, which is glorified in this movie as, you know, doing all kinds of bad things, getting tattoos, doing, getting piercings, doing all that stuff. And, you know, I'm not saying those are bad things, but they're not, you know, things that if I had a kid, I'd want them to do. They can make their choices once they're 18. And and hanging out with uh, boys and and doing stuff with boys, and making out with them and all that stuff. And yes, those are normal teenage things. But I just felt like the movie glorified not listening to your parents and being a kid that disobeys, stays out at night, goes to parties where they do all this stuff. And you know, nothing wrong with being a teenager and doing normal teenage things. But I just felt this movie glorified. Things that um, you know, I'd rather not have my kid do when they were young, a young teenager. If I had children, and I just thought the plot just wasn't good,
2: mm-hmm.
11: so it wasn't for me. All
2: right, so we're skipping the Batman, we're skipping Lucy and Desi, we're skipping Turning Red. There's another film out called Dog. What's Dog about? And what was your review of Dog? I loved this movie.
11: I, you know, I was surprised. It's it actually was. It stars and was written and directed and produced by Channing Tatum. And that was why I wasn't expecting good things. But it's actually a very patriotic, entertaining movie. It's only an hour and a half long. It's about this um, Iraq and Afghanistan war vet who um, is assigned to take a dog, um, uh, one of the canines that they had overseas, to the funeral of his handler, his former handler. And it's the adventures as he takes this dog across the country. And there's just a great scene at a bar in Portland, Oregon, where he's trying to pick up these woke PC girls. It's worth seeing just for that scene alone. It's hilarious and very un-PC, which is surprising because in real life, Channing Tatum is very PC oh. and, and very woke. Oh. I love the movie; very entertaining throughout. Never was bored for. A second. And is this is this, this on
2: demand movie. or it's just in theaters? As far as you know, it's
11: in theaters, but I think it's going to be on demand. It's it's going to be streaming okay. very soon. And
2: very quickly, Debbie, because we got to break in just a minute. Um, Uncharted. Give me your take on Uncharted.
11: Love this movie. It's sort of like a modern day Raiders of the Lost Ark. Stars Mark Wahlberg and Tom Holland, who is really the star of the movie, uh, where they go on this search for the lost gold of Magellan, the explorer, and it takes them around the world. Very entertaining. Lots of adventure. Just love this. Wasn't bored for a second. This is a great movie. Not political at all. Very good.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Debbie, it is always a treat to uh, chat with you. I hope we can chat again soon. Anytime. Thank you. You can go to uh, Debbie's website, debbiedoespolitics.com. There's a lot of interesting things on there. We're going to do 15 seconds of fame momentarily, but first.
1: Breaking news WABC.
2: Uh, uh, we have some breaking news regarding a police officer that has been struck by a vehicle and injured here in Manhattan. Uh, This occurred on West 51st Street and 9th Avenue, uh, police reporting that the victim, the police officer, is not in critical condition. Apparently, the police officer was the victim of a robbery. Four men stole this police officer's gun in a strong-arm robbery. Police have located one suspect at 84th Street and Amsterdam Avenue, uh, updated information reporting that the suspects are in a gray Dodge Charger that fled the scene. So the officer is not in critical condition. He's expected to make a full recovery, but he uh, did get hit by a car and has been taken to the hospital. Be on the lookout for a gray Dodge Charger, folks. If you're in that area or if you're in Manhattan in general, there's no telling where these folks will end up. 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. That's right. It's Friday. TGIF. The weekend is here. Uh, No better way uh, to start the weekend than by giving you 15 seconds of fame. If you want to be heard on any subject for 15 seconds, now is the time, because it's time for...
1: The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Fame.
2: Tom is in Orange County.
1: Yeah, hi, uh, uh, Frank. Uh, I, I was thinking
5: that there should be a photo exhibit of all the atrocities committed in Ukraine posted in the lobby of the U.N.
2: Joe in Forest Hills. Donald Trump should get a gold medal for being
1: vice president of Putin. It's Friday, it's Friday, yeah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Friday, it's Friday, yada, yada, yada.
2: It's not bad. Mark in Westchester.
4: Yes, I
3: want to pray for the Ukrainians like we prayed for the Northern Irish in Ireland when England tried to destroy their country. God bless Ukraine.
2: Anthony in Astoria.
13: If they ever make a Clueless 2 movie, they could have Clueless Kamala
2: Harris playing in the title role. John on Staten Island.
10: Yes, we have... Dumb and dumber in the White House. We have nothing to do with raising of the price of gas. That is insane. David in
4: the Bronx. I don't know what that lady was talking about. Batman was excellent. It was awesome. She don't know. She don't know what she's talking about. She's no critic. Oh,
2: uh, maybe I will check it out. then. Brendan is in Mount Vernon. Uh,
3: Brendan, oh Frank, it's uh, mind-boggling that you would choose. Winston Churchill over Jesus, the author of life, creator of the universe, God, and our best
2: friend. I'm not choosing a best friend. I'm choosing a dinner companion for one night. Anthony in Brooklyn. Crucify, welcome to you tonight. <laughs> and finally, Tommy in Brooklyn. Top that.
9: Ditch the hate, embrace the love.
2: All right. On that note, the WABC Early News is next. I think I'm going to be on with Sid from 6 to 8 or thereabouts. I'll be back Monday morning at 1 a.m. Frank Moreno. Good day.